Hey everybody, how are you doing out there tonight? I'm glad you could come back and join us for another excellent, fun episode of Toku Thursdays here on the Fanholes Network. This is a kind of a bittersweet night. Uh, I know we kind of teased, like, you know, oh, this is the last Gaim thing, this is the last Gaim thing. Seriously, honestly, this is the last Gaim thing. This is all we've got. <laughs> um, <laughs> for reals, yo, until they come out with Gaim Gaiden 3. That's right, we're doing Gaim Gaiden 2 tonight. If you're not aware of this, this is a it's a sequel to Gaim Gaiden, but it's basically their uh, efforts to showcase some of the beat writers from the main TV show who didn't get a lot of shine or a lot of backstory. And this way, they can like give a little bit of fan service to the people who really like Gaim. Because Gaim was a very popular show in Japan, and it's actually pretty popular over here in the West now, too. So doing Gaim Gaiden 2 is something that we had to do, especially because one of my favorite characters is in this, uh, Knuckle Man. I don't know why I like him, but... He got, he's got Hulk hand. How can you not like him? However, tonight, in our, I guess you would say, tradition of kind of making our own little beat writers team, we have a special guest tonight, and that is awesome. I would like to welcome Ron Sadowski from Dinner with Geeks. Thanks for coming, Ron. Hey, my pleasure. I enjoy uh, you guys inviting me and let me uh, put my two cents on uh, on uh, something that I would have to say, if it wasn't for you guys, I probably would not have watched. Cool, cool. I, I hope you, I hope you enjoyed it. Well, the thing, the thing was, is I, I'm a big Tokusatsu fan from way back. I actually grew up in Hawaii, and so I was yeah. actually there watching uh, Kamen Rider V3 and Kikaida and Kikaida Zero One on the TV when I was a kid. So I, I got this great love, and of course, you know, for the last 40 years of my life, anytime I brought it up, people just look at me funny and go, "Don't talk to a strange man." <laughs> No, I, I I remember like what was cool was when you when you sent us a lot of different emails when we first started doing the show and everything. I know you were one of the people that sent us an email even back when me and Justin were doing those early episodes of Kakaida. So and then you know especially going going back and listening to like the first couple episodes of Dinner for Geeks, like you know you you even mentioned it early on in the run of that too. So it was like one of those things where I felt like oh yeah he's got he's got cred like he it's not like it's not like you know. I don't know, like some people, it's like, it seems like, you know, memes on the internet are a trend where, you know, people are posting like gifts of pink armadillo and just yucking it up at Kakaida. And I feel like that's kind of like, as I like to call on the podcast, I kind of feel like that's poser bullshit. Like they didn't really like it. Like (laughs) they just, they're just sort of glomming on to like some funny meme or a trend or whatever. And, and, you know, when I listen to those episodes of Dinner for Geeks and, you know, uh, you know, basically our email interactions with you up until this point, I was like, dude, yeah, he, he, you know, he knows what he's talking about. Like he, he does, you know, he's not, you know, he's not a poser, you know, this is like serious. So I was like, oh, this is going to be fun and cool and a good chance to talk to somebody else who is a fellow tokusatsu enthusiast and everything and and somebody was there at the ground floor basically for like what you're talking about with you know all the shows that aired in hawaii and everything that's really cool it was and the truth was is, you know i got really disheartened when you guys said yeah we're not going to do any more uh, uh kikaida we're going to focus on uh, this common writer thing based on fruit and 
<laughs> didn't didn't sound so good, huh? Yeah, I'm thinking. Okay, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna let them have their couple episodes before I quit listening to them because they obviously went off the deep end. And uh, <laughs> but, so I went and downloaded and and watched those first. You know, I like watched the first six episodes, or whatever. And 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 then you guys did your episode, and and it's like, yeah. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, okay. I can't wait for them to do the next episode. <laughs> so I went ahead. And by the time you guys did like your third episode on it, I was finished with the series. So, I, I mean, it, it was, I wasn't something I would have gone out and found because my, my inclination is to start at the beginning. So, cause I was actually in the process of watching the original Comrade for 73. And so that sort of jumped the gun to do this. And I really, I mean, I really have to say this show was amazing. Because if yeah. you think yeah, about it, it sucks you in. It is. This is a show. This this is this is basically Saturday morning cartoons for the Japanese oh, yeah. kids. Now you tell me, yeah. where do you find a Scooby Doo episode or a Smurfs episode which deals <laughs> with anything like this? Yeah, I mean, it is yeah. it, obviously we've we've talked about how the way the arcs move, you know, and and how it starts out, you know, being part of childhood and everything and it makes its way into adulthood and all this kind of serious heavy stuff as the arcs progress so yeah you you definitely you, you know you start in one place and it's a very transformative series by the the completion of it so yeah i mean you, you'd be hard pressed to i mean i suppose you could point to you know scooby-doo mystery incorporated or something but but it doesn't really compare you know it's not even remotely the same it's one of those shows that when you watch the first episode you might be wary you might be like, you know, they're dancing a lot, but then, yeah, yeah, but then by the end of that first battle in the first episode where, you know, this should not be spoilers by now if you've been listening to this show, so if you're spoiled, grow up. Um, <laughs> episode, yeah, you have, you know, we have Koda killing his friend, you know, and he doesn't even know it, and like even right there, that's planted early on, so later on in the show, it's like, you know, this big moment. And it seems like this was a show that was planned out very well. It was supposed to take you off your guard and be like, oh, okay, it's about dancing and Pokemon monsters. Okay, I guess I'll give it a shot. And by the time you're like, you know, balls deep in it, you're like, what is this show? Why is it so good? Yeah, I mean, I think I think my mandate was to watch the episodes as basically we recorded them. And for the most part, I mean, I really stuck to that, but... It, it was kind of painful because like like Ron saying he he basically finished the series before we even got to our whatever our third episode of covering Common Rider Gaim and and you you are really compelled to continue watching every time you get to one of those cliffhangers and every time you know something outrageous and stupendous happens on on the show so I mean I I definitely can see why somebody is is sucked in and, and wants to basically you know, consume all that entertainment, you know, all at once, because it, it is, you know, it's a spread where you're like, man, this spread is great. And every time I take a bite, it's, it's even better. So that's, that's perfectly understandable to me. I mean, it, it really was a show, a show that, I mean, the, I, I, you know, usually when I, when I start watching a show like this, you know, where I'm, you know, I, I get to the point where I can't stand the opening song or credits you know, if they have a the teaser, then they go to the song. That's you know, I'll get to the song and I'm like sort of fast forward through it. This show, every time 
they got to the opening credit sequence, I actually sat and watched the thing, and I swear, almost every time, I would find something new that I hadn't seen before. You know, you know, this is this is something that seems to be common, at least in in Japanese shows. And and then the other thing too is it's something that I feel like is kind of, it's kind of sad. Like it's almost something that they've they've kind of done away with in in American television. I mean, th- we really don't have introductions to TV shows anymore. It usually is just this, you know, my name's Oliver Queen or whatever, and, and maybe you get that if you're lucky. But a lot of times it just goes straight to some kind of title card and, and, and you start seeing credits of people's names and that's about the end of it. Yeah. And it's, it's like during the cold opening. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a very, you know, these days everything's like just a cold opening, probably just for economical reasons or something like that. But in the case of Gaim, you know, like you, you did always find these new things. I mean, it was very reminiscent of, of certain well done, you know, anime intros where, you know, you, you sort of see the entire story before you see it, if that makes any sense, because it's like this weird kind of, I, I, I don't know what the right term would be in terms of art style, but I mean, it's very much a, an introduction that is a mosaic of of the 50 or so episodes you're about to watch. But then it, it's always, it, it makes it different every time you watch it, because when you watch it the first time, you don't really know too much about the show, and you've got questions, and you're curious, but by the time you get to, say, the 50th episode, and all's said and done, you know, like, now you sort of know what all those shots are referencing, so now they all have, you know, additional meaning to you every time you see it. So, I mean, I could understand why you... And, and the song's pretty cool, too. Yeah, it's actually it's actually one of the better songs for a pop song opening. Well, I mean, I, I want to ask, how long did it take you, you guys to... What, about what episode did you realize that... Because I know early on, you know, when Blonde Mime shows up, you, you're like, is that Mime? She looks sort of like her. I'm not sure. But in the opening credits, <laughs> we see her and we see her reflection and then the two characters. And I'll, and when I realized that, I don't know, probably about episode 15 or 20, somewhere in there, I'm like, oh, that explains... They told us all along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I always felt pretty good about that, to be honest, because I wasn't trying to, like, spoil myself. But, I mean, I I felt like when, when all was said and done and all was said and revealed, I was like, see, I knew this was all flash after image bullshit. I knew that shit. 
So, like, I, I felt like I was pretty vindicated by the end of it as far as that portion of it goes. I mean, I had some crazy, like, weird cable future theories that didn't pan out for Sagara, you know. But, like, I, I feel like I was I was pretty on the money as far as, as, as my goes. That was that was so hard not to ruin that for you, Derek. Every time you come up with another bullshit Sagara theory, I'm like, <laughs> must not tell him. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I'll totally admit I was I was going off the rails on on some of those things, but I I feel like you know at least as far as my goes, like I kind of I kind of knew what was going on pretty early on. So yeah, you did know that. I thought one of the nice things since we're just talking about the opening real quick, we are going to talk about Gaon Gaon too. But as Ron was our guest, he hasn't been able to been on the shows before. This is his first show with us. We wanted to let him kind of talk about it as a common writer experience, and it's really interesting. So. Don't worry, we're going to get to the main topic. One of the things I really liked about that opening, too, and it's very subtle, and you almost don't catch it, but that one point where Mai's at the piano and Koda walks up to her, and the reflection is uh, Kaito in the piano, and he's mm-hmm. walking up. And I was like, that's just so subtle and so nice, and it does play into, like, you know, the you know the big three of the show, and I'm just like, you know, that that's another thing you would not see on a kid's show. They wouldn't make the effort to do that, you know? Yeah, they, I thought the, the the opening, and then of course you know because then they would start putting the little scenes from the movies in there. Yeah. And like, so now, and then now I'm like, oh, they're gonna ride horses. That's gonna be cool. And then I go, oh, I gotta watch a movie <laughs> for that. It, it seems like that's that's one thing that that I don't know if we talked about too much in detail on the show, but it was something always at the forefront of my mind where I was like, oh man, they really advertise the shit out of these tie-in movies. Do you know what I mean? Like so much show. That they're they're putting in clips of the movie in the introduction, as if to say, you know, please go out and buy a ticket for this type thing. So I, I always found that was kind of, was kind of interesting because I think I think it kind of worked on me. But it's like one of those things where if you if you are a fan of Tokusatsu and and you're watching this being fan subbed, a lot of the times it it works against you because you're seeing the advertisement to run out and watch this movie, yet the movie's not on Blu-ray and nobody's subtitled it yet. So you're sitting there kind of with blue balls, kind of going, <laughs> oh, 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 you know, like I want to watch this now, but but you you know literally it's just it, it you know the, you are not in the the you're not at the forefront of, of the media that's being released. So you're just kind of like, oh, you know, you sort of have to put some of those things on the back burner if you're if you're watching it sort of in real time as it's being, you know, fan-subbed or whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I had a, I, you know, I was I, I was very excited to, I, when they started advertising the K-Side uh, versus Showa Rider episode, you know, uh, scenes, and I was like, oh, I'd really like to see that. And I think... It was definitely months after I finished actually watching the show that I finally was able to find the fan sub for that. I that was you know it it put it in my mind, and I and it let me know that there was something else to watch. Yeah, that that's something else that I noticed too. Is is this was a kind of an interesting experiment in the sense that like we we tried or at least I I mean I I guess once we came up with the notion of of focusing on arcs and that you know, the specials and movies and different things would also be separate little interspersed episodes. And we try our best to tackle them, you know, chronologically in terms of the the show chronology. Like that to me has been an interesting experience because I know a lot of times kind of like how Tony watches it. Most times, like you sort of just watch the show from beginning to end. And like you're saying, if there is a tie in movie, you get to it when you get to it. But I mean, it was kind of fun to 
sort of set those goals, you know, and watch it basically as much in real time and real chronology as you possibly could, you know, and, and, and just, you know, watching the soccer movie when it would have happened in terms of the series as opposed to, you know, maybe just going through, you know, all 40-something episodes and then, you know, some day in the far-flung future you come back and go, oh, yeah, there's this soccer movie, you know, like that kind of thing. So, so I mean, for, from my perspective anyway, the, the way, you know, I was trying to tackle it, like that was kind of fun. And, and, and that's a completely counter to, say, my experience with something like Common Rider Drive where I was watching it, invested in it, and, and I, I had no set limitation. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to talk about this on the podcast, so I'm going to wait to watch it. It, it seemed to me like all the excitement and, and sort of goodwill that Common Rider Gaim had built up for me helped me to keep watching. Like, basically, I sort of channeled that into Common Rider Drive, and I kept watching, like, all the new episodes of that as well, because every time I got, like, super excited when we got to a conclusion and went, oh, shit, I really want to watch the next episode. But I was like, oh, you got to be good because you're going to you're gonna watch it on the next, you know, the next podcast <laughs> discussion. And so instead, what I would do is, like, you know, go, okay, well, what's new with Common Rider Drive? And I, I ended up watching the whole series, and then, and then later I'd come to it and watch a few movies and and that was one of those weird experiences where I'd be like, man, these movies were cool. I just couldn't watch them in real time because they hadn't been released or subtitled yet. And it was one of those things where you'd go back and go, hmm, like, you know, basically one of the things we covered last episode was the Drive Guy movie. And, and that was one of those things you realize, oh, hey, Mock actually made his first appearance in this movie. And so you're like having that funny moment where you're like, you know, it's like when they reveal, like, a comic book character's first appearance wasn't what you thought it was because they had, like, a little panel off to the side in, like, some other Mickey Mouse comic or something. And you're like, I never knew, you know, I mean, I'm just making shit up, but I'm like, I never knew Thanos' first appearance was in Mickey Mouse 23, you know, because it's like, I don't know, he poked, his, he poked his head out and, like, you know, punched Minnie in the face or whatever, like, uh, <laughs> off panel or something. And it's like, that that's the kind of thing that, like, you know, w was one of those things where I was like, oh, like, this is, it, it's sort of a reverse experience to, to how I've set it up. So it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, geez, like, I, this was a special, I mean, the, the way that, that we tackled Gaim, I think, was a special experience for me that I probably, if you're super invested in a show and you, you can't be bothered to wait for it to complete, you, you'd be hard-pressed to, to reproduce that kind of experience. Well, I will yeah. have to say that... Uh... Especially with the soccer one, which I did did exactly what you said, is I watched it many months after I finished the show. I it was it was interesting enough that I go, how does this because the soccer film does not fit in at all with what yeah. I remember. Yeah. So I had yeah. actually go back, find the episode it supposedly took place next to, and rewatch the episode, and I'm like, oh, how did I not realize there was something going on here that they didn't cover? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting the way that's done, too, because I, I feel the same way about that mock appearance that I was telling you about, where I was like, how did I not realize that there was this big major introduction of a character, and to me, his introduction was just his introduction on the show, but yet there were lead-ins to that that I somehow had missed, you know, so I was, I was kind of shocked that it, it basically, it seems like it works both ways in some, you know, excellent, you know, the, the way they sort of set that up it's like it could work for you if you hadn't seen the movie but it could also work for you when you do go out and watch the movie so i i always think that's kind of a, 
a well-laid plan, you know, like with the best intentions. And I, and, and I know we're going to get to the film in just a moment, but that's about my biggest complaint about these films is you would, I wish they would tie it sort of closer back into the series because it just it feels so disconnected. Yeah, well, I, I think well, one of the things is is with with Gaim Gaim and two especially, like both these characters, one is essentially a villain, which that's hard to do because he's yeah, like yeah. some of the other characters. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's not one someone who has like that bit of good in him, or someone who is doing something that's kind of wrong. But he's a good guy, like Takatora. And then the other guy is Knuckle Man, who is cool. He has a cool look and everything. But again, he's he's got like maybe one or two big scenes, and he doesn't really play a big part. He's just one of the beat writers, you know. He's one of the you know kids who's who's trying to do his best to help out. So I, I think that's why it didn't seem like it tied in really strong on that in that aspect. But I, I still think it was really good. I, I think it was it was interesting to watch. I mean, I, I was telling you guys before we actually you know started recording the show that I I kind of view it as it's prequel for the first half of it and it's a weird prequel because it's like it's a prequel and then it's got like the little stephen king flashback within the prequel you know like so there's that there's that that notion to it because basically like the idea is it's supposed to be a prequel episode that focuses on common writer duke it focuses on ryoma and and like tony was saying i mean that's an incredibly hard sell i think because Ryoma's a douchebag, you know, so it's like, you're like, you're like, you're supposed to, like, maybe supposedly follow him as a protagonist, and I think what, what really keyed me in on the episode, and I'm, I'm just gonna say this, because it was like, first I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get to this, and then they shifted the focus so that it was an ensemble piece and it wasn't just on Ryoma and it basically focused on all the origins of the people who ended up being the inner cabal like Yggdrasil Corporation and that like totally turned me on to the episode and then of course there was the fact that it focused like on Minata too and like that I was like dude if I was making like a, a Martz type video our buddy Martz does he does these kaiju no kami videos and i was like dude if i ever made a marts video about this movie i would totally play like the zz top leg song for that (laughs) scene when minato was like jumping around chasing after that guy and like leaping over all the desks because i was like damn she's got some nice legs and then like she does like all this acrobatics and stuff so i was like totally like she got legs you know like so like that's totally what i was thinking when i was watching that scene so i i enjoyed that and then and then they have like the introduction to you know my favorite loathsome character which was you know sid too and and like you see the origins you know like his his slimy you know basically like amoeba like origins is like this thug type guy and how you know Ryoma in some sense yeah, he was kind like of a little shitty before he became powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and how Ryoma sort of elevates them, you know, and, and, and all that I thought was kind of interesting and, and going into sort of the, the backstory of how they just had Genesis drivers and this sort of reveals the introduction of, of how a Genesis driver was even a consideration or something that was developed at all, you know, like so that was kind of interesting. It is, like, interesting because we saw aspects of this in the show, obviously, because I was the driving, you know, force of the plot for a couple of episodes, you know, the Yggdrasil Corporation. But, yeah, we never knew where Sid came from. He just showed up in the shop one day selling lock seeds. You know, Takatora is, 
is infamous for being Mr. Secretive, you know, and even like after he reveals his, you know, more noble nature, he's still like, you know, this kind of, you know, shadowy figure, you know, and of course with Ryoma, it's interesting to see that like from day one, he's always been a manipulator. He's always trying to find people to use to get what he wants or to further his own scientific goals, which is basically what his big thing is. He is all about the science, but that science is evil and corrupt. He's very much a math scientist. So, you know, yeah, it's interesting seeing how even before, you know, the invest and in all this became like a major priority. He, he, you know, he was, he was that guy who had his fingers in every pie. He, he knew what he wanted to get done. Well, maybe that's a good point to actually do sort of synopsis because we're going to start talking about it. Yeah. I, I will go ahead and do that real quick. Just to kind of give you guys an idea of what we're talking about. You've decided to go to a nearby restaurant. You ask the hostess to seat you in a booth. As you sit, you notice an animated conversation among the four seated behind you. They're talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who and something called the Laugh Olympics. These are the people you used to pants in high school, and yet you cannot help listening. Unable to tear your ears away, you realize you've just been sucked into the Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks, weekly at twotruefreaks.com. Yeah, the first part of Kamen Rider Gan Gaiden is, of course, the Kamen Rider Duke part. As we've said, Duke is Rayoma. He's a shady, backstabbing, weasley man, and he, 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 wants, he wants the golden fruit. He wants to, you know, get the power, but he also has his own way of going about it. He doesn't believe that it's all about punching and, and arrows and all that good stuff. He, he wants to, to smart his way, clever his way to it. He's pretty much, you know, this, at this point in Gaim Gaiden 2, it's taking place when he has not stepped over the deep end yet and, and doing his own thing. He's still working with Takatora and stuff. And, you know, even now, though, however, Ryama is showing that he already thinks that, you know, Kirishima's idea of the arc and all that stuff, saving as much of humanity as possible, you know, he's he's like, that's a pipe dream. That's not going to happen, you know. The, the invests are going to destroy the world, you know. The overlords are going to take over. You're, you're, you're bullshit, dude. I mean, you don't know about the overlords yet, but still. And he, he just, he, he sees the worst outcome, and he's wanting to figure out a way to capitalize it for his benefit to where he can, you know, again, like I said, get his stuff done. Like Derek said, we see that, like, you know, he's kind of picked up these guys, Sid and Minato, who, uh, you know, have their various strengths. Sid's very, what's the best word I could say? He's really good at convincing people of things. And he's also a manipulator. That's probably why Rayoma likes him so much. Minato, of course, she's smart and she's intelligent, but she's also an ass kicker, as Derek said. They're, they're actually taking time to investigate a suicide attack that was taking place in Yggdrasil. The person behind this was Black Bully. I have a horrible accent. I don't, I mean, it doesn't sound right. You know, then through this investigation, you know, they find out that Ryoma had a former colleague, and uh, it, it was uh, part of this group called, like, the Black Linden. Well, he, he he says that this was his predecessor, essentially, in, in the whole Yggdrasil project, basically. So so it's kind of like that that guy was supposed to be, like, his... I, I, I don't know that I'd call him a mentor, per se, but he, he definitely predated 
Ryoma as far as that goes. So like when you see those kind of, I guess as I'm describing it, these Stephen King flashbacks, it's like it's it's a prequel, but within the prequel there are these flashbacks to quote-unquote young Ryoma where he's got a different hairstyle and how he picked up, you know, Minata who basically has a different hairstyle and clothes and everything and basically he comes across her when when he's a she's a cat thief or whatever no she's an industrial spy you know where where Ryoma comes across her she's and then Ron kindly said that she was you know basically an industrial saboteur so I mean that's that's kind of how how firefly yeah how, <laughs> how Ryoma came across her and then you know of course what Sid's basically dealing drugs which is not too far removed from dealing lock seeds, you know, but that's, you know, that's kind of how we, we get introduced to those guys in the, in the sort of flashback within the prequel, you know, and then, and then of course we cut back to the, you know, the present day where they're, they're doing, you know, Ryoma's kind of footwork for him, you know, kind of, you know, Minata saying how this is a, you know, uh, I forget how she puts it, but she said this is like nostalgic for the good old days when I used to do this all the time. You know, basically you get the idea. She hasn't been committing industrial espionage for a while since she started working for Yggdrasil, you know, being like Pakatora's bodyguard or whatever. Yeah, you know? Basically just a bodyguard, yeah. Yeah, this is, of course, interesting because, you know, Rama's like, you know, that guy's dead, though, because, you know, we had that whole Loxie thing happen and... You know me and Loxie, sometimes I make good ones, sometimes I make ones that, you know, start to sap people's life assets and kill them. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's also kind of a mystery, too, which is kind of nice. And especially because, you know, with Ryoma, he, he, he's, you know, figuring all this stuff out, how to get, you know, how, like, the trails lead and everything like that. And you're, you know, he's using his, his legwork, you know, his heavy lifting, Minato and Sid, to... Basically, I mean, it's kind of funny, but just Scooby Doo earlier on because it's kind of like Swank's a mystery. It's like, like, come on, Scoob, who's been sending these explosive lock seeds at us? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, the the one thing I, I think that's interesting about this is, and I'll go back to the main plot. I mean, because really, it's not all you know. Basically, it happens till the big fight at the end. One thing I I, I was going to ask you, Derek. And you too, of course, Ron. I mean, I, I just knew Derek uh, posited this with uh, Rama being such a douchebag. To me, he never broke character as far as, like, you're like, no, he's cool. Like, you know, they didn't seem to try to, they didn't seem like they were trying to make him, like, sympathetic, really, which is nice. They, like, he, he stayed his same character. I mean, you're interested in seeing where it was going, but he never tried to pull, like, you know, a Venom thing where he's like, you know, yeah, he's evil scientist, but he won't kill babies or something. You know, they didn't do any of that kind of shit. No, he actually doesn't really care about people. Yeah. He, he he's very true to his character in a show. As a matter of fact, part of the the, sub, the plot of the exploding lock seeds is these are innocent people who are being sort of brainwashed into uh, exploding these lock seeds. Yeah, that was the thing. Is like it's, it's by the Zakuro lock seed. Yeah, and 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 you know, Taktor is like you know we got to figure out and stop this, and he's like no, we got to figure out how they're making them. Yeah, he wants to make them better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he never he never has a benevolent plan to like yeah better humanity. He's like I want to figure out how to screw things up worse, make things worse. But yeah, it does you know eventually build to a head. You know we were introduced to a character named Kagakudo, kind of like a guy Kudo. He, he's kind of neat. He's badass. 
do you like the idea that in these guidance they introduce new characters that have pretty much nothing to do with like the regular series at all? I think that I think it was it's it's it works fine. That that was actually the least of my problems was the introduction of new characters. They made sense. Some of the other characters that were there already, and you're like, <laughs> huh, what? Well, well, that's one of the memes me and Derek talk about a lot. Well, it's not a meme; it's a meme for us. I mean, I don't know if that counts among like three people, but like we always talk about how, how Takatora. I say he's mysterious and stuff, and he does have good moments. I like Takatora; I really, genuinely do. But a lot of times in these movie specials, he just seems like he's there, just like I'm here, Takatora. <laughs> you know, and it's like, is that one of the ones that you were like kind of unhappy about, or did you not? Well, like no, actually, Takatora is one of my favorite. Uh, talk to her is fine. Yeah, I just uh, I was talking more of the way he's uh, Michi in the in the other one, but um, oh, well, yeah, Michi. But we'll get to that in a moment. No, actually, I, I have to say this: Rayoma, I, yes, he's the bad guy, but he's got a compelling story. He's actually the brains behind the Lockseed. He gets he gets noticed. I mean, obviously, he's publishing this research, and a lot of people are poo-pooing it saying that this this isn't that this isn't right doesn't make sense it doesn't work and it takes Takator basically coming down and going hey i think you're right i want to work with you yeah basically validating him and of course yeah then we find out that he yeah he he, he worked with Takator just because he thought Takator was going to help carry him all the way to the top and then he <laughs> realizes Takator has too much of a soft heart to, to do what he wants done. Uh, but I think it's, it is compelling. It's interesting that he seems to almost generally like, uh, care about some of these other characters. The, the, the idea of uh, creating a story around uh, a Ryoma, who is obviously not a nice guy, yeah. but he's, he's got a compelling story. He's got a story arc. He's, he's the lowly scientist who says, this is how it's going to work, and people basically are laughing at him until talk to her shows up and says, you know what, I think you're right, and I'm the head of the company, so uh, you're going to get on the fast track to get this done. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I was nervous maybe in the first couple minutes going, oh, I wonder if this is going to work, like a whole a whole segment dedicated to to Ryoma. But once once they started going into sort of the backstory and what, what brought that whole crew together, then, like, yeah, like you're saying, then it does become very compelling because you're you're sort of invested in the group as a whole. And even if maybe you don't think Ryoma's the nicest guy, you know, may maybe you've got more of a soft spot for Minata or Takatora because of, you know, how their allegiances go later in the show, you know, then you can sort of come along for the ride for, for the group rather than just the, the one character and stuff. Yeah. Anyways, I was going to point out, and, I, and you're going to have to correct me, I don't remember the guy's name. The uh, the bad guy. Is it Jerry Jean? Uh, Common Rider Saber. I, I got the sense that he was Rayoma's superior, his you know direct supervisor, and Rayoma had you know came up with the Genesis driver and you know had to be tested, and basically convinced his boss the guy who tests this is going to become Mister A number one. He's going to be on the fast track, and you know so he sort of maneuvered him into being the one testing it. That's why he, yeah. you know, he basically felt like he, you know, it wasn't just an accident. It was malicious. Yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, he was more of an avenging spirit. Yeah. That, that I think that part of it, like that part of the plot, the whole, these lock seeds that 
you know, detonate and and this kind of predecessor of Ryoma's who's coming back for some kind of comeuppance. Like, I, I think that might be the part of this plot that I felt was not not as strong as I, I think I was more compelled to watch some of these kind of flashbacks and the, the interplay between you know, Ryoma and Minata and Takatora and Sid rather than, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a way to facilitate having a fight sequence at the end of this, you know, a reason for both Ryoma and Takatora to suit up and fight against another common rider, basically. But I don't know that I thought that that part of this story was you know, super strong. I mean, it, it just, it kind of, it was what it was, you know, like, oh, somebody's trying to blow me up. It's like, well, why is that? It's like, because, like, he's mad because he he got killed during an experiment. And it's like, okay, well, I guess, you know, it's it's reasonable. It makes sense. But it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I was like, yes, you know, like super excited about or whatever. No, it's hard, it's hard to get excited about a character that yeah. we, they don't, we really don't know anything about, and we, they, you really can't give that much backstory, or you would be ending up not talking about the characters that were actually germane to the show. Yeah, it, it's one of those things, too, where you're like, oh, well, we've never seen him in the show, and this takes place before the show, so heretofore, he must totally, like, get worked by the end of this, you know, short film, you know, like, like <laughs> it's kind of like that whole Superboy syndrome. Like, coming back. <laughs> you know, Superboy's going to come out of it okay. Like, he'll he'll be cool, like, because he grows up to be Superman, you know? Like, so it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, well, we know where Ryoma gets taken out, you know, like, in that case. So we know, like, th- there's not too much that this guy's going to be able to do to Ryoma and the crew. We know they sort of make it out of this in one piece. It's just, it, I guess it's more about kind of being interested in seeing you know, where they came from previously and, and how they got to the point where they were the sort of badass Genesis driver crew, you know, walking down the street slow-mo, you know, you know, doing the whole Reservoir Dogs walk or whatever. <laughs> you know? I was going to ask, did you think it was, like, kind of interesting now having seen the entire series? And you do have moments with, with Takatora and Enrio, uh, you know, fighting in, the, in their group, the the Genesis Riders, that's what they're called, New gener- new Generation Riders, that's what they're called. But in this, we actually see kind of a legit, you know, team up with Takatora and, and Ryoma to try to take out Agane, you know, because by himself, he's actually pretty good. He's, you know, even though this is in the early days of Sengoku driver technology, the armored form he has is pretty powerful, and, and alone he's doing really good against these guys. But then, like, you know, like, he he's like you know can't he he doesn't have the i guess fighting knowledge to take out you know Ryoma and Takatora who Takatora is just a badass and i, I like seeing Takatora get to be a badass again cuz in the last few like arcs of Gaim poor guy got his ass kicked alive <laughs> well because remember he was conflicted at the end yeah, oh, yeah. When, when you're, <laughs> if you're single of pur- single oh. singular of purpose you are, are uh, direct on what you want to do yeah, I mean, this this definitely gives him an opportunity to be singular of purpose. But then you, you start to question what you guys are talking about before, about how Ryoma kind of sets things up and has his own machinations. And even, you know, I guess towards the epilogue, I mean, they, they have this fight. I mean, it's interesting to see Kamen Rider Duke pre-Genesis Driver. 
because that's nothing we were ever shown, right? So that in 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 and of itself is kind of like, oh, that's yeah, kind of yeah. interesting. This is the proto Duke, pretty much. Like this is a Duke without a Genesis driver. And then you know, it it, it basically the fight sequence kind of reminded me of the end of Phantom Menace. You know, you've got the two guys against the one guy. You know, and they're they're both you know combating. You know, basically the the one you know, Darth Maul type guy at the same time, you know, and, and, and they're both fighting off against them. And ultimately, in this case, it's it's Takatora who, you know, at the end of that first encounter, you know, delivers like the, the quote unquote killing blow. But then it, it, they have that epilogue moment, too, where that really didn't kill him. And Ryoma knew that. And, yeah. and then Ryoma has his you know, single solitary showdown and sort of solidifies his ownership of the Genesis driver and everything. So so it does kind of call into question. It's like, yeah, Takatora looked badass, but was that Ryoma just letting him, like, have a moment? Like, to, to sort of just feel good about himself? Not feel good about himself, but let him wear yeah. himself out. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. Yeah, Ryoma does confront Garnet and does deliver the final blow. Does 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 take him down. So you know that's you would think would be the end, but no. There's also kind of another epilogue kind of thing. Like apparently there's another character named Shura, and he's basically you know becoming another member of this terrorist organization, and he's going to keep on doing what the guy was doing, and he's even got a couple of Sengoku drivers and for his little his buddies, which would have been really cool to show in the show because you know at one point we're told there's no more genesis i mean no uh no more sengoku drivers and i'm like hmm and it's also interesting because this character kind of has a somewhat kaito sensibility it's like anyone who's not worth being you know strong you know who cannot survive you know just will kill them now kaito is not so much about killing he's just more survival of the fittest but like this guy's saying like he will deem who is worthy and if you're not we'll just get rid of you so that that was interesting, like that like this kind of character, you know, was introduced but they never did anything with him. You mean you mean the the character from the previous segment, the scientist or, or Shura? Yeah, yeah. Shura, um, yeah. I I don't know, like he seemed to be like the I mean he, he obviously plays a huge role in the the Knuckle Man segment. So I don't know if we're talking about that already or not well i, I was talking about guy in the series proper but yeah oh, oh, oh i see what you're saying like that they, they didn't do anything with these characters in the series yeah well it it's it, it's again it's like the, the this first one is a prequel and then the the second one is kind of an epilogue so i mean i i guess it would have been cool if you could have turned a minor character. I mean, I, I don't know that you'd want a character who was a good guy becoming straight-up balls-out evil, because then you might feel a sense of betrayal if you had... You know, it's like, what, what, what was it? Uh, I, I know Pekko's in the second segment, but who was the girl that was always getting caught up in the shit with Pekko when all this shit was um, going not, on? Not the rats. Game? What's her name? So, it's rats, Pekko, and some yeah, like, yeah, but it's like, wh whichever those characters, like, if you all of a sudden turned one of those supporting Gaim dancers into a balls-out evil character, you might go, hey, wait a minute, like, this is this is totally phony. So it's like, I, I, I think the way they sort of set it up and the they, the backstory they gave Chu in the in the piece on Knuckle Man, like, seemed to make sense. I mean, I, I, I sort of bought into it. Yeah. You know? I, I thought that, you know, what they needed to do for that link there 
was they needed another character because it really didn't make sense how this pre-sequel character and this post-sequel character have made any kind of connection. So you really need a third character who has bringing, and I thought it would be perfect would have been bring back Sagara and show that he was manipulating things before mm-hmm. and he's still manipulating things after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah, like what is the line? His machinations reached from the grave, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of that that kind of stuff and all that good stuff. I, I in a nutshell, uh, you know, what what do you guys? I mean, we we pretty much kind of done a nutshelling of this as we've gone along. But you, you say you say Derek, like your favorite part was not really so much, right? I'm like you enjoyed him and stuff, and you like seeing Tactor and stuff. But you you seem like you really enjoyed the whole like backstory, like you said, Stephen King flashback and stuff. Was that like your favorite part of this? Yeah, probably, except for maybe you know Minata's legs. But yeah, I mean, I was. I was I was pretty into all the the backstory and everything. I mean, I mean I but I mean I did enjoy the stuff where she's, you know, scaling down the buildings and you know, jumping around tables and and doing all that kind of stuff. Like I thought that was pretty cool and you know, even the fight at the end. I mean, the fight at the end is enjoyable. I mean, it it, it, it there's a good fight between the all the writers and everything. I just think the, the when you focus on some of the semantics of of you know, why is this character trying to combat these other characters exactly? And, and, and kind of what, you know, Ron's saying about the, the transition being awkward from one piece to the other, you know, it's, I, I, I can get to bat behind that because like there, there, there are those aspects of this piece that are kind of weak, but I mean, I, I, I just, I mean, I would probably give it like a, maybe a 3.5 or a four pineapples or something like, I mean, I think it's pretty decent. Like I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. Like there were, there were some really cool moments, especially with the, the Yggdrasil crew and everything. But, you know, I mean, even, even Sid, like, I mean, I liked, I liked his moment where he's getting kicked around in the, the gutter and everything. And Rio was <laughs> handing all these thugs asses to them. But then, then he kind of sees a spark in Sid and he's like, I, I see something in you. You're going to be, you're going to be useful to me. You want to deal drugs? Well, I got something even better for you to deal. And, and I liked when Sid has that moment where his face is all bloody and he's kind of like, okay, I'll do this, but you better watch your back, man. Cause I'll I'll play along with you, yeah. but not forever, you know. Like, and I was like, okay, well, that's you know, I mean, there's that aspect where it's playing with what you know is going to happen in the series, but it's also it was a well done scene, and 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 I think all those kind of moments, you know, whether it's a moment between Takatora and Ryoma or a moment with you know Minata or whatever, like I think all those had some some good moments and everything. So, like I said, I I, I would give it like probably. I'll give it like a four out of five pineapples as far as that first segment goes. I would I would say. Uh, How about you, Ron? I, uh, I, I mean, um, you do pineapples. You don't have to do pineapples. Yeah, I, I can't do pineapples, not anymore. No. <laughs> I I remember you guys talking about the Ryder Baron one from the previous film, and how you guys sort of eh, it wasn't as good as you had hoped. Right. You know, and I, I'd say. It uh, one I I thought it was just a wonderful uh, rip off of uh, the the Prince and the Pulper or the right, right. and the Iron Mask or whatever you wanted yeah. you know theme of you know two identical people and they yeah. switch places I, and I th- and I found it enjoyable I really did and and this one you know what I found it enjoyable there was yeah you uh, uh, Rayoma is just 
he's he is just bad. He is just he's a bad bad boy, <laughs> and he is just not going to let anybody or anything get in his way. Doesn't matter. He's gonna just keep going forward. But that being said, it was enjoyable. It was well written, well acted. Everyone in it. I mean, yes, some of them are playing themselves earlier, so they have to play themselves a, a different. You know, they're not the same character yet. Sid obviously isn't as sure of himself as he is later on. You know, and he play, plays that well. He 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 he's gone from street street punk to being a highfalutin criminal, uh, and then you can see a difference in his personality. But by the same token, they all you still recognize those characters. They. You, there may be somewhere else on their their personal arc. They may not be fully developed as to who they will be, but you can see how they get from point A to there. And that was great. Yeah, I will say my I think the most disappointing thing in that segment was the uh, scaling of the building by Maneto because that's the only time she ever wears pants. Yeah, uh, I was like, uh, that's funny that part where you're like, <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like. Busted. Only time I've ever seen her in pants. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that was on purpose. I pay good money to see her in a skirt, damn it. That that <laughs> did uh, that did leave me crestfallen. Yeah, definitely. but I did. I thought it was amazing. She can run faster than an elevator can go up. You know, she's she's a stunt lady. So I was like, she's she obviously like they they always hire her. It seems like because. Like that—that's one of those things where, when, when doing research about this, you found out like she was the suit actor for that common writer suit, and she is the actress that's playing the actual character. And and most of the stuff that I've seen her in since then, like she's always been very, very physical. So I'm I'm sure that is you know one of the many attributes that they you know, one of the many reasons why they they would want her on a project, because obviously she's very good at all that kind of um, interplay and, and, and physical, you know, kind of stunt work and action. Well, well, the funny thing is, is in that opening sequence where uh, she's chasing the suicide bomber and he has to go through the abandoned hallway with all the trash, his flailing and crashing into things is so bad. <laughs> It, it's almost like he's, he's like, okay, you hear the director yelling, okay, now run to those boxes. No, no, run up, fall over that can, you know, and then it's like, and then she comes in and so effortlessly makes it look like she's, she just jumps over things and, and just slides across tables. And then and you're like, it's, it's unfair because she's obviously that good of an actress doing the physical stuff. They, they should have got someone that could physically do the, the actual running. Because you just can't believe he he well, somehow that, managed to get away from her. Well, that, that's the scene you're talking about, though, Derek. That was the, that was the leg scene. That's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, that was the leg scene. But like, no, no, no. It's good what what Ron's saying though, too, because it's like one of those things where it's like if you've got like Al Pacino in a scene, you know, you bring in Robert De Niro, and they both can like hold their weight as these like strong actors in a room together. But it's like, what do you do? You get like the greatest Japanese stunt woman ever, and you get like some day player that it's like the second movie he's ever done a stunt in before or something to like be the guy that gets away from her. And like, I could see why you're like, come on, man, you should at least have gotten like a, a top tier, like stunt guy to do that one scene. But you know, yeah. Oh, well, but I liked it. I actually, I, it was very, interesting. come on, man. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, if you want to no know prizes, which I mean, I'm not giving me stunt man a pass cause it did look 
pretty bad at some points. That's being generous. Maybe they were going to go for the whole idea of making it, you know, like she's already a great athletic woman. I mean, you can't you can't take that away from her anyway. But by having this guy flail around like an idiot, and, you know, look, <laughs> you know, ineffectual, it just makes Minato look that much more bad. <laughs> Never know. Maybe he was scared shitless. He was pissing his pants. He wasn't even like trying. He was just trying not to die. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he wasn't supposed to be like you know a terrorist. He was supposed to know what he's doing. But I, I'm like I said, I'm just trying to know. <laughs> so what would be what would be your your rating for this so, one? Making a show about a villain and not even a remorseful villain or a sympathetic villain that is a hard sell. That is really hard to do. But there is a little bit of enjoyment seeing Ryoma be such a dick. Because the actor is really good. He sells Ryoma to a T. He's very, very good at being bad. And I did like that they did have a supporting cast. I was kind of worried about that, like, Derek, was this just going to be, you know, Duke being Duke? Or were there going to be layers? And there were layers. There was, like, you know, the association with Yggdrasil, you know, things from his past, you know. And as far as, like, one of the best, you know, Gaiman stories, no, I wouldn't say that. I think it's probably weaker than the first Gaiman guide in this segment anyway. But then again, I really like Takator and, you know, you know, so, I mean, there, there is that. And also like Baron, so kind of hard to beat those two. That's like a one-two punch. But as far as Ryoma goes, as far as making a, a, a nicely crafted story, like uh, Ron said, is is written really well. Uh, it's a good mystery. Th- that, that helped elevate it. And, of course, as we've stated many times on many other shows, the cast in and of itself is good. Minato's great. You know, even though Sid's a douchebag and you hate him. He's a good douchebag. You know, he's good at what he does. The actor, he plays that slimy, you know, weaselly guy really well. So, I mean, you know, that, that cast helps elevate it again. I would give this a solid... I'm going into fractions here because I always have to be the more harsh guy than Derek. I don't know why. I would give it 3.75 pineapples. Like 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 a pineapple, half a pineapple and a couple of rings. Um, <laughs> you know, just, just from the dole can. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not bad at all, though. I mean, like I said, just because it may not seem to me as strong as the first movie, at least this installment, again, because they'll have another part of this movie to talk about. It's, it's definitely worth watching. And especially if you're like Derek, you like Minato, you get to see some legs. And if you like Takatora, it's always good to see him back, even if he's like, I mean, he, he plays a big role, but he's obviously not the focus because it's supposed to be on Ryoma. But if you like Takatora, you get to see your boy kick some ass. So, I mean, always good all the way around. So, I mean... I think if if you're a guy fan, this is definitely something you would want to watch for the first part of this movie. Gathered together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. The Toy Geek. Scott, the award winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. And Ron, just Ron. Dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind. It's dinner for geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. I guess that brings us to the second part then, right? <laughs> if you want to. All right, the next part of Common Rider Gaiden 2. 
Yeah, this is Common Rider Knuckle. If you're not familiar with the character, I'll give you a little bit of backstory because, again, he's not as he wasn't as big of a character as Ryoma. Zack is a member of Team Baron, and at, at a point in the series, he received his own Sengoku driver and became Common Rider Knuckle Man. But basically, he is a guy who his his block seat is based off a walnut. Sorry, it is. Bear with me. And basically, it's two big, huge punching fists. He has no swords, no guns, but he can hit you really hard. He's a tan and black rage machine, I guess. I don't know. Later on in the series, his probably his biggest moment, I think Derek would agree, is when he joined Kaito under false pretenses when Kaito was kind of not losing it, but when he was going for his big drive to be, no pun intended, his big drive to be like, you know, the overlord. And it was revealed that Zack had been on the side of the good guys all along, and he was going to try to kill Kaito with a bomb. And at the end of that arc, not only did Zack seemingly die, he got beat up good, and it seemed like he died. But also, Minato had been pushed over the railing, and she definitely died. She was gone. So that was probably his biggest arc. Would you agree, Derek? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's probably his... I mean, that, that's kind of where the this piece sort of begins in a weird way, because it, it, it sort of shows you those last moments, but also... You know, sort of like the aftermath, because this, I, I guess it's its kind of weird, because th- this episode is like an epilogue, but these first few moments seem to take place in between the end of, I guess, what, Gaim, what is it, like 46, and then that, that sort of post- aftermath episode you know so it's like it, it basically you're you're seeing him waking up in his hospital bed and then you know but but not basically i think the majority of the story takes place after he recovers you know and, and kind of gives mitchie the what's up as he's hobbling around you know recovering from his injuries so like obviously most of the story takes place after he's out of his leg cast but those first early moments where you're introduced to Pecco's sister, who has a, a thing for him, you know, who's sweet on him, you know, then then at that point, you know, it, it's like that is sort of in between those episodes. But it seems like after that point, then you're basically, when you get into the full sort of nitty-gritty of the story, this is an epilogue piece, and it takes place basically after the entirety of of Gaim proper, you know, and, and even the, the Gaim Drive movie, I'd say, you know? Yeah, definitely, it does have that feel that, like, you know, this was one year later. Actually, I think it is one year later, I think it says that or something. But yeah, yeah, Zach is pretty much kind of, I guess you would say, living in a in, in a life past that, past, you know, what had happened with Zawami City and stuff like that. Even goes to New York, yay! Peko becomes leader of Team Baron while he's gone for a while, yay! I don't know if I would have picked Petco. Just say it seems like he inherited the leadership because he was like the only guy left, right? Like, I mean, that that's kind of the vibe you get. Yeah, it's like him and Zach. It's like, like it's I like, pick you because like, you're here. It's like I would be the leader of Team Baron, but I'm going to New York to dance, you know. And it's like, all right, so now you're in charge, Petco. Yeah, it's like it is what it is. Yeah, there there's some discontent because one of the things that's interesting about like this installment we'll get into whether it's good or bad a little bit later we get into a lot of history about team baron in this basically one of the guys we saw for a glimpse in the first installment shura he was formerly a buddy with zach and they were like hanging out and doing their thing and everything like that you know and then the magnificent bastard kaito happens upon them one day <laughs> and sure he, he he's kind of a dick he tries to you know 
pretty much try to kill Kaido with a weapon and stuff. However, Kaido's like, you know, dude, fuck you. You know, you're, you're a coward, you know, because Kaido, again, always about strength. He's never one to back down from a fight. But if you lose to him, especially in a way that he sees as cowardly, you know, because he wasn't armed. He just hand to hand. You know, he he's basically like, you know, you're, you know, you're a coward. And Zach, you know, is kind of like, you know, I like this Kaido guy. <laughs> you know, he like there's like this bond that's kind of formed. And that is where Team Baron kind of comes from. You were talking, we were talking about earlier how a lot of the stuff in Duke showed the the, the ground floor of Yggdrasil forming, and like you know, well, especially the, the the Cabal, as Derek calls them. I know Kaido is very popular. I know he's one of Derek's favorite writers. Do you think it was cool to have like showing like you know the formation of Team Baron? Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting. I mean, I, I thought that gave at least this this villain some good motivation, you know, because basically you're like, oh, I mean, basically it's like, what what, what what do they always say? Like, oh, there was a fifth beetle. I mean, basically, like, that's what this is, right? Like, like Shura or Shura is like the, the, the hidden beetle that you never knew about, basically. And, and he was, he was ousted before, you know, they got really popular pretty much. And now he like, you know, and, and what it's kind of like is if somebody came back and was like, oh, now I'm going to spread the word of John Lennon all over the place and, and kind of echo his, his philosophy and mindset and, and try to basically popularize himself through the death of, you know, somebody who was actually famous and, and sort of, ride on the crest of their popularity yeah. and that that seems to be what he's doing here you know like he he's created this whole neo baron institution which i guess peko is supposed to be upset about at first and you get the idea maybe he was going to try to infiltrate them from the inside and bring them down but he's just not strong enough to do that and he ends up sort of becoming absorbed into neo baron and everything and and i guess that's what brings that, that it's funny because because when you said like yay he goes to new york like part of me like i had this weird moment where i was like are they gonna like pretend japan is new york for this whole thing and and have like a a story <laughs> in new york you know like and pretend it's new york and i was like i don't know if that's gonna work and it's like basically it's almost like he goes to new york and the scenes in new york are kind of hilarious but he goes to new york for like two minutes even though it's been like a year of him like trying to audition you know, at these various, you know, dance auditions in New York. And, and you even see, like, there's that funny moment where he's clearly auditioning and, and doing his dance routine. And then you see these kind of day players who are clearly just, you know, English-speaking people that happen to live in Japan or whatever, just nodding and kind of going, okay, we are done with you now. Or, or maybe they're not even first you know, born native English speakers, because clearly everybody who spoke English in the English scenes in New York, I I, I needed subtitles for those as well. So you know, like that, that's I actually mean, New York. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's that's the real New York. Like, no, no, no. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like somebody was speaking with an accent, and you were just kind of like, hey, look, I I get it. I was born. Oh, yeah. I was like, I was like, I get it. I was born in Brooklyn. I I, I understand that part of it, but it's just like. One of those things where, you know, clearly these people were like, I go to a dance audition now. Thank you. Goodbye. You know, and you're just like, wait a minute. What what just happened exactly? Next, number 40. Catherine Jones. How was it? There is only a threat of hope. Oh, yeah. 
Baron was your dance team, wasn't it? Yeah. Everyone talks about it. But I mean, you get the basic idea. He went. He went to audition. His leg is obviously still injured from that last yeah. battle in Gaim, and and the, you know, obviously that is having an impact on you know his dancing routine and his auditions and everything like that. And you know, when he gets the call from Pecco's sister, who is basically like his love interest. I mean, he he basically runs back home to to help out. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, though, because Shure is, is kind of an asshole. I mean, like you said, he does have at least a motivation, which is always nice. It's always nice to have a villain who has a reason to do what he's doing. But, yeah, he's like he's got, like, this little, like, you know, like, thug group, you know, fight club, whatever you want to call them. And he's, like, giving out, like, loxies and stuff. And he's telling them, you know, oh, you know, this this is in, like, you know, the way Kaito would think, you know, his ideals. And it's like... You're an asshole. <laughs> well, I, I think I think he's a perfect example of he's a poser. Like he he never really believed in Kaido's philosophy. He actively tried to batter him to death with like uh, a metal stick or whatever, you know, a pipe or something, <laughs> you know. But and and he was, he was effectively kicked out of Baron before it was even formed. But yet here he is like, saying he's carrying on the quote-unquote good name of Baron by creating this organization, Neo-Baron, when really all it is is... I mean, I, I guess in some ways that that's the only connectivity I can see between the first piece and, and this piece is that those villain characters and, and Ryoma, to a degree, they, they were all about carrying on things for themselves while pretending they were working for the greater good, I guess, if that makes any sense. I mean, you know, Ryoma kind of strings Takatora yeah. along. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, th that's the, the the thinnest thread. Underlying theme? Yeah, you know? Well, I mean... Yeah, they're uh, trying to link it together. Sure, sure, yeah, sure is not... Uh, it's funny you brought up the Beatles, because I'm watching it, and the only thing I can think of is, I'm glad to see Boy, boy George is getting work. Yeah, what's up with that hair, dude? <laughs> Flock of seagulls called. Oh, they want man. their hair back. I mean, he always. <laughs> I, and yes, he's a, he's a poser. He's a. I he's know a, a lot coward. of people tend to make fun of like you know the the, the, the bitchy look, but he is so bitchy. <laughs> it, it and it's it, it's funny because Kaito comes in basically says I'm taking over. Shows him how to dance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's about Kaito. He might be a good cook, but. I'm not crazy about his dancing, and then sure, just uh, it doesn't really know how to deal with it, so he tries to kill him, and he gets banned for life. Yeah. Oh no, I can't be part of your team that I don't even like. That's your motivation. He was banned for life. He can't go off and start his own dance team. I mean, really? You see some of the other dance teams? Like he totally could have taken a pipe to the head of Janichi, and he totally could have ran that brainy crew. All by himself. He totally missed out on that, right? <laughs> I thought maybe he should go and join Team Hot. <laughs> Team Vito. Uh, that's that's what I think though. That's what I usually think though. When I get when somebody kicks my ass hard, and I'm just like laying on the ground, I'm like, I'm so gonna make a dance team and get back at you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was funny how they inserted Pecco's sister, because clearly, like, she's never been in the series, as far as I could tell. Yeah, a, a zombie. And, like, the, the, they did sort of 
they they did sort of try to cleverly like you know don't look don't look but we we inserted her into the prequel team baron basically the the flashback team baron so you could see like like that zach and her had a previous relationship that she was the one who taught him how to dance and all that kind of stuff and and that she was part of that proto team baron but it seemed like once once kaido took it over i mean obviously it seemed like she sort of backed down and let peko kind of be be their family's representative and team baron i guess at that point yeah it was only a boys club she was not allowed she also was banned for life it seemed right <laughs> but she didn't try and kill someone over it. <laughs> yeah. she she wasn't trying to pipe <laughs> pipe smash anybody's head in you know she was just a, a cute girl who dug zach speaking of which shura after zach gets back from new york you know zach is confronted by because zach confronts shura you know he's like you know what's your deal dude dude you know they kind of go at it a little bit because Zach doesn't have any powers. He's still Zach. Sure takes off. You know, he's like, you know, I'll, you know, I'll get you, Gadget. And speaking of Peko's sister, in true form of a bad guy, he kidnaps her. So, you know, there's there's even more on the line. And this is where, because God damn it, we got to have a Kirishima brother in these damn movies. He's got to be around. It's either Michi or Takatora. And this time it's Michi. Michi shows up. Well, Zach goes to Michi. And, like, you know, he... Where... Derek, where does Michi keep getting these damn Sengoku drivers from? Dude, Michi's like a Sengoku driver factory. I, I thought it was actually like because well, what they they go they go after because those two guys turn into the Kurokages, right? That the, from the the Fight Club that that chase after Peko and Zack, right? So like then and then Michi shows up, kicks those guys' asses. And then hands him a suitcase and says, you might need this. So he must have... I don't know, is that the same driver that Takatora had? Or is it... Because Takatora's not using it right now. I don't know. Well, yeah, but like drivers, once you put them on, they're, they're like... Oh, yeah, they're, 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 they're bonded to you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, maybe... Because cause they also mentioned that Shura was creating more drivers. So maybe he... I mean, maybe, yeah. you, I, I don't know, I got the idea, like, Mitchie was kind of fighting this, too, in his own way, and that's why he sort of randomly appears out of nowhere, not because he wasn't already in on what was going on and just happened to be, like, jogging down the street, but that he sort of already knew there was some kind of craziness going on with this Neo-Baron organization, so maybe he found one of their drivers you know and some kind of other you know basically like if he was pulling a moon night somewhere across Zawame city you know maybe he picked up one of their suitcases that hadn't been bonded to some other you know fight club thug or something like that so and then when he showed up he's like hey dude why don't you use this because clearly you've got a stake in in what's going on here and i just you know i've yeah, done cause... my i've done my redemption thing so and this is your this is your this is your show, you know, literally and figuratively. So why don't you take this driver and go kick some ass, basically, and fail? How? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and fail. <laughs> because isn't that, basically that's the whole point? Is he keeps failing? Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, that's like yeah. that's like Zach's arc. Yeah, kind. of. I mean, it, it, well, well, I mean, yeah, because, like, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. You're not just talking about as, like, a hero. But, like, yeah, he goes to New York, and 
you know, next, you know, and we, whenever he dances, like, you know, we, we'll call you, I'm from a New York. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's that, I mean, if you want to go all the way back too, I mean, it's, you know, he failed to blow up Kaido the first time, you know, he failed to, to, yeah. to land a, a gig in New York, you know, he, he, he fails to seal the deal with Pecco's sister, you know, like yeah. I mean, there, there's lots of there's lots of stuff that's going on. That's kind of like, you know, I guess you, you might refer to it as a, an epic fail. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess there is that aspect to it, you know, definitely. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like, why Chip's like, you know, little thing when he tensions is, you know, never give up. It's like, that should probably be Zach's. <laughs> Either that or, you're a loser. But yeah, Zach is trying, though. He is trying. Uh, I, I was going to ask this, though, since I, I, you know, made a little to-do about it. Did you mind Mitchie showing up? Do you think he was important to have in the story? Or, or was it just because, hey, I don't know if Zach's really popular, we should probably put one of the bigger writers in here just to make sure people watch this. Yeah, I, I felt it was forced. There was, there really was no setup for why Mitchie would have shown up, why he would have helped him in the way he did. I mean, if Zach had gone to Mitchie and said, I have to have something because they've got these drivers, then it would have made more sense. But, you know, I, I just, you know, they're running away and he just happens to come across them. Yeah, I, I think you sort of have to, you know, yeah. do a lot of no prizing. You know, I mean, I mean, in my mind, the no prizes, Mitchie was already working on this on the side. But then you also have to sort of acknowledge that this is Zach's piece, too. So Mitchie can't really, he, he can't be Yoda at the end of episode two and steal Obi-Wan and Anakin's thunder, because that wouldn't make any sense, right? So, like, Zach's got to actually be the one who who participates in the climactic fight as well. I mean, I, I, the only thing I would say to Ron maybe is that, you know, that I guess you might dwell on, my no prize answer might be that Zach was the first one who sort of really reached out to Mitchie in that early post, you know, post Zawame war period, basically, and actually sort of connected to them. Do you know what I mean? Like they had that moment together. Well, they're, they're both they're both survivors from the Great Zawame War, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and, and they they obviously both in their own ways are, are are you know both damaged and 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 had a lot to overcome after that. So so maybe I mean you know it's a stretch, like you're saying. I, I get what you're saying completely. Like there is that element where he just kind of shows up at a random. It's like yo. What's up? Here's a driver. See you later. Peace out, bitch. Wee-yah! And all the little fangirls who like scream and holler over <laughs> Mitchie are like, are like, Mitchie, you're in. And then that's basically it, you know. But 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 I I suppose you know like you you can you can sort of try to no prize it if your if your heart's in it, you know. It, it, it is interesting. I mean, like I said, I, I I assume again that it was done because. Mitchie is a popular character. I mean, I know we gave him a lot of shit during the overarching, you know, fan holes podcast on the, the main series. But he does get his redemption, and he does, you know, come back, you know, to being regular Mitchie, you know, the good guy Mitchie. So he is a favorite. People like him. Like Derek said, he he, he has a very strong feeling that Mitchie is well-liked by the, the teenage girls in Japan, which I probably could see, definitely. So uh, there is that. We are going to the, the, I guess you would say, the final part of this where Shore and Zach have to fight. And I hate to say this because it sounds really mean, but okay, we've already made fun of Shora's human look, flock seagulls and all that. 
<laughs> and then like you know his his <laughs> his writer form is Black Baron. And the first thing I thought was, hey, he's a rotten banana. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think might have been what they were going for. He is he is Black Baron. He is basically in Kaito's armor, but everywhere Kaito has red, he has black, and there's yellow. Boy, that stinks. But yeah, this is gonna this is gonna make me uh, get tongue tied. Zach with the Sengoku driver that he has now, he turns into with the uh, new lock seed. He turns into Knuckle Jimber Marin Arms. I had to look that up because. I, I couldn't remember it. So basically, not only do we get Knuckle Man back, but he's powered up. You know, he 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 lays the smackdown on him. Did you guys like the new Knuckle Man armor? I mean, the well, the upgrade, I guess you would say. I I don't know if it's like because it's brand new or something, and and I didn't have enough time to become accustomed to it. But I I will say I prefer his standard armor rather than the Jimber armor because it, it's weird. It's kind of like it's kind of like one of those things where you see. You know, like, it, it's kind of this warped amalgamation of, like, the Jimmer Lemon Arms armor with yeah. Knuckle Man's, like, head. And then instead of him having the, the walnut arms fists, it's like he looks like a... He's got, like, blowfish arms or something like that. They're all kind of pokey and spiky. And, you know, it, 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 it reminds me of a lot of those drive suits that I'm not, like, super fond of. It's like I get that they're a power-up, but... I don't necessarily find them aesthetically pleasing or anything. It just seems like a jumble of shit thrown together. And then it's like, he's stronger. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's like one of those things. It's like, it's like, what's your costume? It's like, Oh, I've got a, you know, I've got a, a, a metal pan on my head. And you know, it's like, dude, you're po more powerful now. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Forbish man with more power. You know, yeah. It's just like one of those things where it's like, yeah, but you've got a fucking pan on your head, you know, like, like. Well, wait a minute, like, it's a pan with spikes now, so it's yeah, yeah, so, more powerful. So now, yeah, now it's even more powerful, you know. And it's just like, okay, yeah, I, I, that that's kind of what I felt like, yeah. What, what about you, Ron? I, I again, I it, it was you know, it was sort of out of the blue, you know. We knew it was going to happen, but you know, it really didn't feel like it happened organically. It didn't come to the the costume didn't change in a way you know you you got oh well that's a different look than I expected but you know you just sort of expected it to be more of the sort of the, the same you know maybe the acorn fist would just be bigger or something you know but it it, it just seemed a little like we really had to come up with a completely new concept here to sell something so they did. Yeah, we gotta sell some toys, guys. Gotta sell some toys. Yeah, and, and, and it's really funny because like you take something like from the Duke previous installment, like the base Duke form, the Sengoku driver form of Duke, that looked fine. You know, it, it was the less powerful version, and it made sense. So when he turned into Common Rider Genesis driver Duke, that you know it, it it was a good bridge. This is like you know like Derek said, you know, he he's got the walnut power, and I I don't know what a Marin is. I guess it's a, a nut too. But, like, now he's got, like, spiky blowfish hands. And I'm like, how did that, huh? You know, I'm, I'm just kind of shaking my head, you know. It's it like uh, Derek said, you know, when he first saw Kamen Rider Bravo, he's like, what's a durian? <laughs> like, it, it, it just, yeah, I don't know. It didn't bridge very well. It wasn't, like, a nice, I don't know, flow. But anyway, yeah, he's got blowfish hands, and they're spiky, really spiky. He yeah, has uh, a spiky workout for him. I mean, you know, he does, he does, he does beat it up, you know. I'm sure of, you know, and then, you know, he, he sure might even be dead. Or is he? Dun, dun, dun. The kind of, it's kind of a Zack death where, like, you're pretty sure he's dead, but not really because they kind of, they leave it 
kind of open a little bit. I mean, there's no, like, scene of, like, sure, walking along train tracks after the show, like, I'll be back. But, you know, it's one of those, like, Catwoman deaths where she falls in, like, you know, the, the, the river and, you know, like, is Catwoman gone for good? You know, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, and it's, it's a good fight. I'll give it that. I mean, the, the suit does look a little silly. Rotten Banana looks... It, 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 it's hard to say. <laughs> it's hard to say, like, I hate it because I like Kaido so much. But I'm just like, you're not Kaido. Oh, fuck you, flock of seagulls. Flock of bananas. There is that aspect where you feel like he's a poser, so that doesn't help. I think normally when they color armors black, I think it makes it look sleek and cool. Um, in this case, though, I see what you're saying about the rotten banana aspect. I, I could see that it would easily be something that they could repaint. And, and and then in terms of, like, what Ron's saying, in terms of, like, selling toys and stuff like that, it'd be incredibly... E- it, obviously, it'd be much easier to re-release, re-release Neo Baron in this case than it would be to make, yeah. uh, let's say, another figure art of Jimber, Numbnuts, whatever that <laughs> suit is. You know, like, because that, you'd probably have to tool some new, you know, blowfish hands and all this other kind of crap and stuff like that. But you, you know what else I was going to mention? Like, like was it was it off-putting to anybody that, like, it, at the beginning of the fight, everything was kind of, like, late at night and dry, but then all of a sudden when they really, really get into it, it's like he punches him, and then, like, I think Zach's, like, on the floor, and he's got, like, you know, a bloody lip and all this stuff, and it's supposed to be all badass, and then, like, out of nowhere, cue the rain machine, and then, like, everybody's fucking wet. <laughs> And it's like it's like not like like two seconds later, like everybody's wet, and it's like they're just spraying rain down on everybody, so it looks cool and stuff. It's like I don't know. I thought I I mean I get it. It looked kind of neat once they were in the rain and fighting, but like I thought the transition for that was also a little wonky, where it was like okay, no rain, no rain, no rain. We're fighting. Oh, on the floor, bloody lip. Wait, turn on the rain machine. <laughs> And then it was like, now we're in the ring, and we look badass. So that was that was a little clunky, I thought. The director like came in one day. He's like, I just saw this great new movie. It's called The Highlander. We're going to use some rain, a lot of rain. It's going to be great. My stereotypical Japanese director accent. Thank you, thank you. Send all your hate <laughs> uh, me emails to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. There you go. There you go. Just giving you guys that out. This this uh, this is interesting. Like like you said, Ron, it's it's kind of hard to root for Zach. Because he does seem to fail a lot. And we were talking to Luke Jacanetti not even a week ago. And we were talking about uh, wrestling a little bit. Just a little bit. And one of the things in wrestling that they try to do sometimes for a character is they give him a losing streak angle. Where he loses all the time. And when he finally gets a big win, you're supposed to be like, oh, he finally won. And, you know, that's great. But the thing about it is, is if that losing streak goes on too long you stop waiting for him to win and you're just like, he sucks. He's, he's going to lose. So when he gets that big win, you're, you're like, okay, you beat flock of seagulls. Good, good job. You know, <laughs> fucking chip could have done that. You know, <laughs> chip without Dorian's help. Just, That's... Yeah, exactly. Just with a hammer, you know, come on. Dude. It, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I won't say that it wasn't bad. Cause there's some stuff we get to see. That's really nice. You get to see Kaido be a badass. Sure. It's a flashback. You see Maya for, like, 15 seconds. That's always cool. And, you know, you get to see Mitchie. Even if he's forced, Mitchie, you know, if he's a character you like, you get to see that. I think one of the strongest criticisms about both of these installments is that they are characters that, while they work great with an ensemble, 
they're really hard to get on board as a solo character. Can I can I just say that like I I think I will say some of this was bad. Thank you, Derek. I I, I don't want to be like super judgmental, but like you, you know what was awful was was and and I'm sorry to the poor actor who plays Pecco, but you, you're talking about how they're losers basically, right? And I think the concept, the way it was written was it was supposed to be these two guys who have failed, and they're supposed to be sort of commiserating in in their mutual failure. Like, Pekka's trying to say, look, I wasn't strong enough to not only keep the Baron name alive, but I wasn't strong enough to prevent this other, you know, more charismatic, even though he's a poser, he was clearly charismatic enough to get all these people, you know, behind his neo-baron you know and and not just the the classic baron i guess right and so they're supposed to be commiserating but man that scene like i i get it like it should be i don't know you, you shouldn't feel awkward and you shouldn't laugh at the scene but i felt it was a really awkward scene where where Pecco's crying on zach's shoulder and zach is like constantly like you know I don't know, he's constantly, like, smushing his face in his shoulder, and it's like, it's like, part of you is like, if he's just embarrassed that he's fake crying, because it's like, and it's not even, like, real, either, like, you can tell, it's just the actor playing Pecco's like, I'm so sad, <laughs> I'm so sad, boo and it's like, I don't know, like, that, that, it's like, I, if I shake my shoulders hard enough, Derek, I'm crying, <laughs> I, I can respect and understand, like, what they were going for, but I don't, I don't think it was sold very well. And I, I think, unfortunately, I mean, I think, it, and, and it, the, you know, the actor who plays Zach, like, he sort of gets off easy. He doesn't have to cry. He's supposed to be the stoic, you know, like, sort of, it's okay, it's all right, you can cry. And, like, any fucking asshole could do that. You know what I mean? Like, like anybody can 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 do that part of it. But, you know, and I, I, I understand and appreciate how difficult it is to pull that off, but the guy that was playing Pecco, he just didn't do it. You know, he just didn't pull it off. And that, I, I, I yeah, I'm just going to say, like, that scene in and of itself, like, that was really bad. Like, that's going to knock off some pineapples for me because that, that part of it just didn't, didn't sell it for me. You, you got to give Zach credit, though, because what he was actually trying to do is he was lying, trying to reassure him. He's actually trying to smother Pecco against his shoulder so he would just die. <laughs> it's like, if I if I wasn't going to bang your sister, I would totally snap your neck right now, you know? It's just, <laughs> what? No, I don't, I don't know, man. It was just, it was, it was, it was very awkward, like I thought, and, and, and didn't, didn't serve the purpose that I think it, it well, was intended to serve. I, I'm going to say, I think this segment suffers from something that I don't think any of the other segments suffered from, and that is poor writing. Yeah. The motivation, the plot structure, the pacing, it was not good. It was not good. Why did he have to go to New York? You know, I'm pretty sure a major city elsewhere that they spoke Japanese would, would have sacrificed to have a theater district. Right. One of the big core themes of Gaim is all of the characters, except probably Oren. And even Oren, to a degree, at some point, he kind of jumps on the bandwagon. All of them care about Zawami City. They want to live there. They want to dance there. The city's important to them. You know, like, they, they dance for a reason to, you know, bring joy to the Zawamites, I guess you want to call them, or whatever. <laughs> 
But yeah, the, but then one day Zach gets up and he's just like, I'm, I saw this movie Flashdance and I'm going to go be a star and I'm going to go on America Can You Can Dance or whatever it's called or You Think You Can Dance. And it, it's, just, it's very abrupt and it's like, I understand wanting to move on with your life, but there's like, again, there's characters like Orin and Chip and, you know, even Pecco to a lesser degree, like Derek said, not a great, you know, performance. You know, there's these guys who who loves Awame. They, they love their city. And that was shown in the show. If it hadn't been shown in the show, if Zach had always been like, you know, like Kaido-san, I always wanted to go to New York to be a dancer. Okay, there you go. If that had been said once, it had been like, okay, I see why I went to New York. But it, it just seemed like, it, it seemed like a, a desperate attempt to give Zach depth, but it just failed. Cause it was like, all it did was like you said, make him look more like a loser. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you, you said Flashdance, which, you know, you can, can argue about it, but it was at least an interesting movie. I unfortunately, <laughs> like, I, I relate this to Staying Alive, the Sylvester Stallone film, <laughs> which wasn't an interesting movie. He, yeah, but no, he, he has to leave Zawami Z- City. He has to leave Zawami City because he's, he's a loser there. He's always going to be the guy who failed to stop Baron. Yeah. So he has to go someplace else to <laughs> to be a success. Of course, he goes to New York, and what does he become? A failure. A failure. There. He has to come back and save Peiko. What does he do? He fails to do that. <laughs> fails. He literally needs someone else to help him to win. Yeah. Yes, well, but but I mean, ultimately, like, can we can we talk about like the end and the ending of this, basically? Because I mean, in some sense, he does defeat the ghost Shura. of his past. Well, no, no, I was gonna say he does defeat Shura, but does he really defeat Shura? Because how did you guys? Th- this is something I was wrestling with. Like, what wh- basically what is the ending of this piece? Like, how do you take the ending of of this piece? Is is Zach alive? Is Zach dead? Like what how do like I, I was sort of I was going back and forth on on what I thought happened in the end. Like I, I feel like it's kind of open to interpretation. Like if you're leaning towards that it, it, like if you're leaning towards if Zach is a failure, then maybe you should be thinking, Oh, he died. Like and that's that's how the movie ends. But but I I'm not sure because I did have moments where I was like, well, no, he's fine, and he's just he's just a crazy man, and he's dancing with a vision of of, of Baron at the end, you know, like, and, and that's it. But then you start to think about it, and you're like, well, maybe maybe they both died fighting each other, and that's why Pecco's sister is screaming like a nutcase at the end, because she knows that Zack is really for reals dead this time, and he's not going to recover like he did the last time. And he, him and... Kaito's ghost are just like hanging out together and like dancing at the end. I don't know. Like that's that's not what I got. What I yeah. got was he, he even though he quote unquote defeats the bad guy, which he doesn't really defeat the bad guy. More or less. He, you know, it's more like the timer's up, he has to go home. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that, that was like a like a catwoman like defeat. It's like, you know, oh you beat me, but I'll be back, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And, and what he has to accept is that he will always be a failure, but that's all right. You can always you can you can always be a failure and still be happy, and and that that's his him dancing with Kaito is, and I think this is incredible because in the New York scenes when he is dancing, 
he's actually really good. When he's dancing with Baron, he stinks because he's doing what Kaido's doing, and Kaido really can't dance. <laughs> and I, I don't know what I, that I was. That was really funny. Yeah. It, it's almost like they're making a point, making a joke. It's like you know, Ghost of Kaido. It, you, as long as you don't try too hard, you can live with your life. You know. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, he he he. It was all about accepting that you weren't ever going to be the best at it. He he was never going to replace Kaido. He was never going to be a dancer in New York. He you know, I don't even know if he's going to get the girl. But it, it and and now he has maybe to. Maybe Azami was just screaming because she was like, "You suck so bad." <laughs> well, I mean, he makes the whole speech about I was blaming my failure on this and I was blaming my failure on that I just have to accept that this is what I am you know I am a failure <laughs> I'm a failure this is who I am and I'm like I don't really think that's what the writer's trying to tell kids I think he's trying to say be happy with you know that you may not be the, the number one there's no nothing wrong with being number two you know especially when number one's dead you know, I mean, uh, well, this, this part was definitely number two. Um. <laughs> I mean, I just think the writing was so poor on this. I, and I think I think there was some things going on here. I think they came up with the suit idea. The act they came up with the OK, who we're going to use. OK, we're going to get Zach. He's he's really popular with the girls. And they probably asked him, what would you like to do in this? Oh, I want to I want to show people I can really dance. Okay, so he's going to go to New York and and dance, and then they sort of fit the rest of the story around it. And I think when they got done with it, they looked at it and go, "Okay, we sort of have to fix this somehow." Oh, we'll link it to the first story. Maybe that'll make it better. And it, it didn't. At least Kaido had like the dignity to be like, "I really like cooking." Oh, you want to share that off on the show? No, he just put on some kind of DVD game bullshit. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have been better off with you know seeing Oren. You know, back before, you know, back when he was a mercenary fighting some alien that's in the jungle or something. Oren versus Predator. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if they're going to rip off something, at least rip off something that worked, you know. Staying alive didn't work, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's like John Travolta didn't come back and, like, fight with, with Boy George, though. I mean, I don't remember that part in Staying Alive. No, but you know what? If he had, that movie might have been better. <laughs> Do you really want to hurt me? Yes. Yes. Yes, yes I do. <laughs> now cry. Oh, now cry. Um, I, I was just going to Secret Brother you, Ron. Out of all the guidance series they've come up with, because like I said earlier in the opening, the whole idea is to take either secondary characters like Kaido. He was a secondary. He was a, he was a lead as far as the series goes, but he wasn't Coda. He was not the main protagonist. It's the whole idea of taking these secondary and even tertiary characters and giving them a spotlight. And I would love to see an Oren like Gaiden. I would, like you said, like, heck, you sold me on that. You, you pitched me a Hollywood movie. You like, you know, Oren as a mercenary back in the day. You don't even have to show, like, you could show Durian. He could be Durian. But, you know, like near the end, you know, maybe, I don't know, they do something where oh, he, with flashback. he's in Let's Japan say... and yeah, let's say the alien tracks him down to Tsunami City. And, you know, so we get the flashback of him when he was just a soldier. And, of course, when he's just a soldier, it's like this yeah. private, this young guy that, you know, he's taken under his wing and the, the aliens killed him. You know, and, of, and of course, he looks almost exactly like... Like Junichi. You know, 
Yeah. And so you and then like, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, there's nothing really uh, sexual about it. He, he, he's it's the guy he he tried to save back then, you know. So if we're, uh, yeah, if we're pitching guy, I'm gotten three. Can the second half just be all about team hot pants? Yes. Right. Yeah, that, that can be the second half. They, they, get, they, they come get back and they're like, oh, you guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> Team Hot Pants actually made it out of the, the destruction of Zawame City. They went to New York and they were all hot forever and ever. The end. They I was about to the first scene is they're going to New York and making it. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I, I, will let, I will let anyone know that if you want to see a good-looking guy with a fake blood dripping from his lip, Wearing a, a very tight T-shirt uh, <laughs> in the rain. This is totally physical. This, this is so. This is your wheelhouse, motherfuckers. Oh, he's so loving this. That's what I'm saying. I, I was trying to be like nice about certain things because I did like kind of being in it, and I, I did like some of the fight, like not between them, but like you know, like when Mitchie and the Kurakagis. That was that was cool. You know, it was like, hey, yeah, yeah, we can see some stuff, but like. I think my biggest disappointment was is that, like, Zack was never a huge character for me, but I liked how he looked. I thought the, not like him as a person, I'm not like that. <laughs> I mean, like, as far as the, uh, <laughs> as far as the knuckle man armor, I thought that was a cool design. It looked really interesting. And I was down for, like, I, I, I would have been, like, I don't know, this may sound stupid, but what I would have pitched, you know, since we're pitching Hollywood, I would have pitched, like, a thing where Zack he falls in love with fighting. You know, he's like, I'm not that good of a dancer. Maybe, like you said, Ron, the actor is a really good dancer. He obviously is. But, I mean, like, you know, he wanted to show that off. But for a story, it had been kind of cool if he, like, really got into fighting. And maybe this whole underground fight club that Shura had started, you know, this terrorist organization, you know, all these guys are armored fighters. And it would have been kind of cool to have, like, a Rocky slash punch-out thing where Zack is the underdog, and he has to, like, you know, fight, you know, against all these guys to like you know quote unquote be the champion but obviously like sure is not actually having like just a fight club he's trying to take over the world and this is just a front and stuff and that maybe that could have been better i mean does yeah, that sound it, more interesting know, maybe, maybe the fight club they're recruiting women you know yeah for the evil army you know you know find out a shockers uh behind it or something you know you get any anything you could have done <laughs> like i said i just think that they were. They just didn't have any ideas, and they just were sort of throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall, hoping that they could make a film out of it. Yeah, I mean, th this does kind of suffer for being the epilogue to something that is pretty much wrapped up fairly neatly and tidy. I mean, it, you know, they 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 did. We, we brought that up. You know, in the Drive movie. They they finished the story. They just had to do another story for Drive to be introduced. Yeah. But I mean, long and short of it, I think you know. The, the, I'm, I'm pretty sure we all would have been much happier if Takatoro showed up in this, you know, at some point, and, <laughs> and we spent five minutes with him, you know, just because one, the guy's an act, the, the actor is able to just take over when he's on screen, and he just has oh, yeah. presence. And it, I mean, you know, there's the old adage about some actors, and you know, that you could you would sit there for two hours listening to him read out of the phone book. You know, yeah, there's yeah. some people. He, when, he, and, when, he, when he's there, he just commands the screen. Right. And unfortunately, Zach doesn't. And and no one else they brought in really <laughs> even came close. Uh, I, I mean, Mitchie, I find an interesting character, but he's not. He, he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, and again, I, I, it's the, all in the writing. If the writing's good, it will, this doesn't matter because 
it, it, it compensates for stuff, you know. I, I think I think probably the biggest letdown is I think Zach, like Tony was saying, he had a cool rider outfit. He had a lot of potential. And I think the potential goes back to Kaito having that conversation with him, telling him, hey, you, get stronger. And you kind of feel like he didn't listen. You know, like, that's kind of your takeaway yeah. from having watched this, is, like, he didn't get stronger. He just kept getting weaker, you know? Like, you know, so that's... That, that, that to me, is kind of unfortunate. But, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not damning, but, I mean, I, I'll probably rate this probably this segment at any rate you know probably the lowest that i've done since some of the wacky comedic ones like i mean i would probably give this like a 2.5 pineapples like this this segment i'm gonna be the asshole and give this a 1.5 i'm gonna say um, that those some of those wacky episodes i really enjoyed yeah, yeah i mean I, yeah, I, I went to the bat for those against Derek. yeah I, I would say like at least they made me laugh you know, I, 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 yeah, I, I thought the, I, I don't want to be, it, for what it is, it, it, I mean, it's not like I fell asleep or I got bored with it because it's not long enough to, but yeah, you just sort of like going, wow, I just, I've seen three of these things and they were really all pretty good and this one just really isn't. So, you know, I don't know, it's just. The, 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 maybe there was it was the writers were on vacation that week and they just let the actors make up the script. <laughs> right, that's always that happened on Fresh. <laughs> They're just like, you guys do some shit. However, that was entertaining. And, and by the way, <laughs> as far as my rating goes, the 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 one point five is not indicative of this is crap and it sucks. I'm stealing a line from a guy who does reviews online. His name is SF Debris. It is within the context of the show, like out of this whole run of Gaim. This is the weakest episode. This is like the weakest thing they've done. So I have to judge it more harshly based on that. As far as other things I've seen in life, you know, like there's been tons more crap, you know, and it's like, even if I put this up against like Troll 2, this would be like a 7.5 and Troll 2 would be a 1. But I'm just saying as far as Gaim, this is a 1.5 episode. This is a relative rating to Gaim. And a Gaim only. Yeah, exactly. I understand. Exactly. That is a downer to end it on, too, though. That that, that sucks, because this is the, the, the final Gaim episode. I will say this, though. Gaim, again, I, I've stated this many times over like the various course of this podcast run that we've done on Gaim. It's a really popular show. And people really love these characters. And I don't think, to my knowledge, they ever did like a, a special about a previous Kamen Rider show like dead in the middle or even after no it was after drive had been done you know it was like they were already on ghost and they were like hey gone gone two's coming out so there there's still a fan base here that likes these characters and if there is a gun three i'll watch it and if it gives us like you know the stories that we had with you know takatora and baron and duke i'm on board just don't knuckle man it you know i mean i'm gonna go ahead and let you know now a solo story with chip Trying to like you know get out of a bathroom for an hour? No. <laughs> can I, can I add one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say this. I've been a Kamen Rider fan most of my life, and I understand. I mean, I can I can see why it doesn't translate for some people. It's guys in, in suits fighting rubber monsters, and 
there's there's a certain level of disbelief that American audiences just won't do. That said, Kamen Rider Gaim transcends that. Not when I was watching this, I realized this was not only a good show, it was actually the best show I watched that year. And I think that was the first season of Gotham and and Flash. Where in that year I was watching it. So I was this was better. And and I just want people to understand that this show is actually that good. My only caveat I'm going to throw out there. If you're a uh, Kamarita fan, as good as this is, this isn't Kamarita. This is this is science fiction. It's a great piece of science fiction. The fact they call them writers and all that stuff really doesn't it it really doesn't have any of the trappings of uh, really previous Kamen Rider shows. And and that's not a bad thing. They did something new and different, and it worked. And I think I'm better for it for having seen it. And I would like more people to see it. I was surfing on the internet one day, looking up other people's comments on, on Gaim, and I came across people who talked about how it was, it was just more of the same by the same writer who had written some anime series back a couple years ago and and it wasn't you know really clever or interesting and i'm like i think you guys are really don't realize that yeah if i watched every anime series i probably would know all the plot points of any kind of show that comes out of japan but most of us don't this this show this this show actually i was shocked Again, because it's basically supposed to be Saturday morning fair for kids. And it had well-developed characters, great story arcs. The writing was impeccable. I mean, there's, there's, there's points you're heartbroken. There's points where you're ex- exhilarated. And, and it could be in the same episode. The mysteries that are there are actual mysteries that uh, actually get solved at some point. There's not... Something that you think is just sort of a random and at the beginning turns out to have been a plot point. And There's no I'll take no this at all. No, it's it, it's it is. I actually was thinking it is like Shakespeare. You're watching it and you're like going, "This all means something," and it's so well written that you got to keep paying attention to it. And I'll take actually uh, an umbrage for something you guys said about Kaito. Kaito? No, it was uh, Kud- um Right, Ryder, yeah, Ryder uh, Gaim. Gaim? Uh, yeah, uh, Ryder. Uh, he that they didn't set up his transformation to uh, his final form and his ability to come up with a solution, but they did. I mean, the whole thing had been about he he was always torn between doing what was right and what was expected. And that's why he couldn't keep a job. Because, you know, he would stop to help the kid who got lost instead of deliver the food. You know, it, it he always was looking to do the right thing. Not what was going to, you know, keep him yeah. employed or anything. But they, they, and it was very subtle. I think that, that and I can see how it, it could have been overlooked. But I, I think all the way through, and he's, he, you know, it's well done to the point that when it happens, I think you sort of just accept it. You know, he has been thinking about this ever since he realized that 
at some point he may have to make choices that affect people's lives. You know, he's been trying to figure out what would be the right thing to do. I think in, in that respect, as far as I'm not defending our point of view, because I find your point very valid. I think at the time when we were watching it, we were focusing on the comedy aspect of those scenes because they were played for comedy in certain ways. But you are right. Coda doesn't ever try to fuck up. He's not trying like, you know, when he was when he got turned into Gaim, he, he thought those powers would actually help him on his job. And it did turn into a comedic bit. And I understand that. But you are right. He wasn't turning into guy because he was like, you know, I'm awesome. I'm the greatest thing ever. He's like, this could help me on my job. Yeah, that probably was an oversight on our part. I mean, it was early in the show. And you do see Coda grow into, like, a, just a great person. Like I said, the only problem I ever had with, like, Overlord Coda was just the outfit. And it's a minor <laughs> quibble. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I just, not my favorite outfit. <laughs> no, I, I just I just want to say, you know, I, it, it, I, I, there's very few things after you know 40 years of life that you see that you actually go wow that's impressive and i will say that oh, this yeah. was impressive this I, I i again i have to thank you guys because if you guys had just kept going through uh kikaida i would have been ecstatic well to, to end on on another positive note i know the the way the timey-wimey nature of recordings work but i mean i did mention to you and it's it's not going to be any secret by the time this airs i mean justin and myself have gone back and and recorded more episodes of kikaida so we'll we're definitely going to keep going back to that well so you know there, there's going to be more of that to come interspersed with other tokusatsu Yay! goodness so yeah so definitely <laughs> definitely that's that's gonna be you know on on the docket as well and stuff so yeah no but i mean it, it's cool to i mean because i mean I, I i would have to say i mean if it wasn't for tony pushing to do this i mean this this is not something i would have checked out on my own and 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 not so much because i have any ad aversion to guys in suits fighting monsters in rubber or whatever you know like i loved godzilla i loved ultraman like you know there were there were lots of things like that but i think you know for a long time you know and i've sort of expressed this on the show too you know people tried to get me into common writer and it was one of those daunting things where i'm like it was like doctor who you know it was like one of, how many how many seasons are there like how many you know, like like that kind of thing. Like, I mean, I I think I think we share that in common, Ron. Is like, you know, sometimes there are those things where it's like, oh, I want to go back to the beginning and and start from the beginning and work my way up to the latest stuff or whatever. And and when it's something like that, you're just like, holy crap! Like, there's no way, man. There's no way I can, you know, see all that stuff. So it's like, I guess, you know, kind of kind of like what what Luke would always tell us is, you know, you just got to pick pick a writer you think looks cool and and watch the series and jump into it and you know because tony was the one who was eager to jump into this i said all right well i'll i'll come along with you on this ride i'll join you on this journey and it didn't turn out to be like the green hornet movie it turned out to be like a fun journey that i enjoyed so you know it was it was cool so yeah i mean i i i echo the thanks that ron's giving both tony and myself but but i mean i would i would definitely attribute it to it's all it's all the brainchild of tony so I appreciate that as well, sir. Wow, my head is getting so swollen. I don't know if I can fit in my room. <laughs> Thank you, though. Appreciate that. But for me itself, I, I'm glad that I got Derek on board for that. I'm more than overjoyed, Ron, that you listened to those podcasts we did, and you're like, I'll give it a shot, and you grew to love it, too. But, I mean, I'll give credit where credit is due. If it wasn't a good show, it wouldn't happen anyway. 
I mean, I could have watched this and thought it was crap and just been like, eh, we're not doing any more guy. But it is a good show. It is a really solid show. And I can't put it as eloquently as Ron did. That was really, like, a great way of expressing your love of the show. I, I will echo something that Luke Giaconetti said. It's a little bit more humorous, but it's still no less true. There are so many points in this series that, like, you just look at your friend or you look at your wife and you're just like, you know, you know, I'm not crying. Shut up. You're crying. You know? <laughs> <laughs> It just like it, it does. It does have that. <laughs> it has it has the feels, it has the humor, it has the characters, and, and I, I forgot to do this, Ron. I apologize because you asked a question earlier. When was the moment you were on board with Gaim? And it's kind of nostalgic, but it is actually true. It, it happened at that point, and then later on, I looked back on it, and then I was like, "That's kind of funny that happened that way." It is the episode where Kota gets the uh, pineapple arms, and it's just so cool because there's this dynamic between him and Kaito. And it's already starting there. It's like the third, fourth episode. And you already see this rivalry slash friendship. And I'm like, I'm I'm good with that. Pineapple Arms was badass. That fight was great with the uh, pineapple squash. And mm-hmm. I was on board. I was like, I have to watch this show. And then as we were doing the show, you know, like months later, I'm like, holy shit, if it weren't for Pineapple Arms, the episode, we wouldn't have our pineapple rating system. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's funny how that show fed into us. Yeah. I I just uh, I, and I thank you guys for letting me get on here and and uh, just uh, blubber uh, all I've done. Yeah, I and hey, it didn't hurt that right in the middle of the show they do they throw a Kikaida episode in. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I was that's... like, I mean, I, would, I literally didn't have any idea, and I started watching that episode, and I I screamed like a little girl. Yeah, that that was something that I I, <laughs> I mentioned that like, I jumped ahead and watched because because that that was I think the other thing that really sold me on you know continuing to watch the show because I was like oh cool like I love you know I love Kakaida so so that was that was super exciting as well and and that they had a, a tie in like that and I actually thought the episode even as a standalone episode I thought was so well written yeah you know yeah. usually something like that it's like okay we just have to have the guy show up and. Well, I have some dialogue here or something, and then it'll be a fight, and then we're done. And and know that the whole thing from start to finish, you really got a sense of, you know, the characters, and and it built on everything that had gone before, and and I, it was also great to see Coded. her sister, and uh, how she, you know, how she's sort of this person that holds things together, you know, and you, you sort of get that. I that mean, it's cool, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I just uh, the, the show just was great on so many points, and 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 I think the best thing is there was a discussion we were having on Facebook one day, and that was, can an ending ruin something that you've been enjoying, you know, like a book or a film? You know, if the ending's bad, does it actually, you know, make everything else become bad, even though you enjoyed everything else that came before it? And I think yes, I think you could easily have had a lame ending that would have made this whole thing felt like, well, that was sort of a waste of my time. But it like... all worked It all worked out the way it should have worked out, even though it wasn't what you expected or what you thought. I, I feel like you just gave a textbook definition of how I feel about our worlds at war, the, the, the big DC Superman crossover. Because I always, I always make fun of, I always make fun of the ending of that because I think it's the most ridiculous thing ever. And to be perfectly honest, as cheeseball as it was, I was enjoying the hell out of it up until it ended. So yeah, that totally. And 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 like you said, this could easily have gone, 
gone another way, but but I, I you know like like you were saying, I mean it, it really Gime itself delivers on on all those fronts and everything. So you know despite like okay yeah so we 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 had one half of a a Gaiden series that wasn't quite up to snuff, but like like we're saying we're still overly enthusi- enthusiastic about the property in general. And if they made other Gaidens or you know tried to do some other sequelization like and then it was just as well done, like it sounds like we'd all be up for it. So I, I think I think, I think so that's too. you know that's that's a a good showing as far as that goes. I mean, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of curious like like how it's going to play into like future you know specials and movies. Like I wonder if, you know, if if they do have potential to have, you know, Kota or Michi or Takatora or whoever, you know, show up in some of these these team-up pieces and just as like a cool little cameo or if if they somehow could do a buddy movie, you know, with with a character from Gaim and another franchise or something. You know, it's like it's like I, I know you guys are going to groan, but it's like it's like what if we could redeem Zack, you know, we have a uh, common rider mock and Zack hit the road, you know, or something or or whatever, you know, like <laughs> just just something to 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 continue on all the the game love, but yeah, I I think that would be fun too to sort of anticipate and and uh, speculate about you know future future pieces that might include characters and cast members from from the game universe. I, I would love to like you know be that guy who is going to give the reality that like the Bandai and you know the Heisei era they're going to keep pumping out shows and like. They're going to be good. They're going to be bad. There's going to be stinkers. There's going to be gold. And they probably won't revisit Gaim that much. However, the cautious, optimistic part of me looks back to Heisei versus Showa. And that is a huge mess of a movie. You've got to like really sit through and watch it to like really get into it, to like understand everything, because there's just so much thrown at you. But like when we did that episode, first thing we did was we all marked out like kids when, you know, Common Rider Black RX showed up. And he was badass. He was great. It was like, you know, this is probably one of the best parts of the movie. It's like, and if, if Coda gets that chance in a further future movie, he doesn't have to be on, like, you know, screen for 30 minutes or 20 minutes. He could just show up, be a badass, have that that recognition that people know that this is a good show and, like, that we're giving him his just due. And that would be great for me, you know? Like, you know, like, great Heisei Rider battle and Coda actually be a badass, not be the guy who gets nerfed like, you know, poor Forza. Every time Forza shows up, he wants to help. He always gets his ass kicked. <laughs> Quit. <laughs> well, the great thing is, is Coda could always be the ex de machina of anything that they do. <laughs> oh, oh, we, uh, so all, the writers get, yeah. all the writers get killed. Well, we'll just, we'll just send Gaiman and you know, bring them all back to life. He happens to be all powerful. All you need is a lock the zippers. <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah coda is like yeah and i mean i i know we have to end relatively soon but i, I did want to kind of like the derek's uh little like praise of me did want me to say that like when i joked about us being beat writers uh you ron luke jacanetti and you know john vanover joining us on this journey as derek said it does make it more special because it's one thing for me and Derek to do this. Me and him are already friends. We like to talk about shit. But when other people listen to this and they get involved in the show, and it's not just because of us. It's because the show's good. 
and they want to join in. They want to give their comments. They want to talk about it. It's like, it really is like a team, you know, it's like, you know, you know, from the corners of the galaxy, you know, seven mighty heroes join to become the supercasters, you know, whatever. That means something. It, when when people like something so much, they want to find an avenue to talk about it. That's that's fandom. That is real fandom. It's not bitching about Batman versus Superman. It's not saying the arrow sucks. You know, it's like we do that, but we also love those properties. And when you love something and you enjoy watching it and you can get together as friends and bullshit and joke. And like, you know, like I said, you know. You can hate on certain things, like, but at the end of the day, the Knuckleman portion of this, it's like I had a whole bag of great chips, and then I had one chip that had a little bit of green on it, and that <laughs> one little green chip doesn't ruin the whole bag of damn chips. It's a good bag of chips. <laughs> little green. <laughs> oh, I don't think I'm going to go into Derek's house anytime soon, so... Uh. Uh, I mean, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, anytime you guys want to, just let me know, and I'll gladly come back. Because, uh, you know, I love uh, Tokusatsu, and and I don't get enough of it in my life. And that's only because, when, you know, life gets in the way. No, thanks for doing this. You're 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 more than welcome anytime to to come back to the show and anytime we discuss any movies or anything like that. So, and this has been great. So, thanks. We we appreciate your time and everything. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm going to end this love fest because I'm an asshole. I want to let you guys know <laughs> that we are a podcast network, but we're not only the only podcasters in the world. If you ever want to listen to some really good stuff, check out Gender for Geeks. That is the show that Ron Sadas uh, is on. And, you know, Derek loves it. I listen to a couple episodes myself. It's fun. It's entertaining. You want to hear some geeks talk about some good stuff? I mean, dude, just go there. Listen to it. Good time. Had by all good laughs. So definitely check that out. As far as us proper, you can follow us on fan polls on Twitter. We're on Tumblr. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Stitcher Radio. We're on iTunes. Luke gave us the best pimp out ever. It's free, and when you give us five stars, more people can listen to us because we move up in the ratings. People get to see us. So hopefully more people will get into Gaim. That would be great. As always, we have our Facebook. We have our uh, email. You can get a hold of us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. All this kind of stuff you can get with us on, interact with us with. Because of these avenues, we were able to get a hold of Ron. Ron actually reached out to us to tell us that he would like to talk about Gaim on a show. So, you know, social networking, it can be used for a good thing. So check out those things. And as always, we do our uh, weekly shows. We have Toku Thursdays. We have Sentai Saturdays. It's coming back. Everybody shut up. <laughs> um, we, have, uh, we have Mobile Suit Mondays. Uh, which is going strong. They're doing Thunderbolt. Um, we have Transformer Tuesdays, which is just a mess of transforming goodness. And, of course, we have the Fan Holes podcast proper, which is available on whatever Wednesday we have a new show up. We have some really cool stuff coming up soon. I would love to spoil a new show we got coming up soon, but I don't want to because it's not my baby. Like, this was my baby. Derek and Justin and Mike, they got a little something special planned for you, and you should uh, check it out when it comes out. But other than that... I think we have wrapped up Gaim proper. Great show, great character, great series. I'm not going to miss it, though, because I'm not going to watch it again. It's going to be one of those rainy day things where if I'm having a bad day, I'm going to see Coda tell me to just live more. And this is Tony signing off. This is Derek, Derek WC. See you guys. And this is Ron, just Ron. See you guys later. Yeah.
that's refreshing. Yeah, I tried to cup it. I tried to cup it. I was trying to be silent. <laughs> if you want to. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I'm just afraid, you know, as much time we spent on that first one, I know the second one, you're probably going to go into three, four hours it's because it's so much to talk about. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, we did a five-hour podcast on the, the series finale, so we never, never I know. know what it was. <laughs> um. Sorry. And then, you know, I think we lost Tony. <laughs> you still there, Ron? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I'm, just, I'm just disappointed in Tony. Because I, I can always edit all this stuff out later. But I usually I usually don't edit? vamp. You actually whatever. edit stuff? Yeah, yeah. Okay, then what happened stuff. on the episode that was five hours long? That I didn't edit shit on. I'll, I'll tell you up front about that. Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't do. I, I, I started to, and I was gonna try to, and I was just like, I can't do this. Well, technically, that was, uh, that was multiple recordings. So I did kind of edit things, but it was mainly just splicing together stuff. Tony. Yo. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I had to do what I thought, where I just, I called Ron individually and then and then added you to call me all sorts of names yes exactly (laughs) we do that here man it it only means that we tolerate you um (laughs) ron ron is a a true lover of tokusatsu and kikaida so that's that's the only uh name slinging i'll i'll throw around tonight i was actually thinking because of this gaim show that we've been doing for the podcast um, due to the wealth of guest stars we've had on here, we've kind of made our own little group of beat writers. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, we, we own our stages. Yeah. And we all dance about as good as they do. Um, Speak for yourself, sir. <laughs> <laughs> as the host, Tony, you may, you know, give it to him, you know, throw him an opportunity to do, do that as well, I suppose. Throw me a bone, Tony. Throw yeah, me yeah. a bone. You know, like so, just 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 so we know our our base tactics or whatever. But yeah, I I just watched this on Monday, and then you guys made me spend money because then I went on uh, Mandarake and saw the Lord Overlord Baron figure art came out, and I was like, ooh. So <laughs> now I want Common Rider Saver too. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was I was like, cool. But yeah, the, the, usually this always gets me excited. Of course, you know I feel bad because because I know our our buddy on AFB podcast. John Vanover, like he likes watching Common Rider Ghost, and I keep promising him I'm gonna give him, uh, you know, give it another shot because I think we've all kind of universally agreed, at least on fan holes, that we don't care for it too much. And so I watched the first episode and went, uh, and then I was like, after I watched Gaim Gaiden two, I was like, man, that was awesome. Now I've got an overwhelmingly like, I I don't know how to describe it. I had a wealth of like. I can watch anything subtitled from Japan now. This was great. I'm going to watch something else. And then, like, I watched episode two of Ghost, and it, like, totally, like, if if my health bar was, like, doubled up to the max, it, like, basically, like, undoubled and, like, crapped out by the end of that watching. So I don't I don't know what to say about that. I'm kind of scared to watch episode three, so. Ghost was like, combo breaker. Yeah, exactly. I totally got my ass whooped after that, yeah. 
I'm 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 feeling relaxed now. It's just I I was at work and I was like, okay, I got to take a few minutes to like set all this stuff up and unwind. But normally I'm I'm all I'm all chill because it's usually the weekends and I'm not I'm not all you know stressed out or whatever. You mean you actually never You're you like, don't record on Thursdays? Uh, yeah, I, I hate to break the illusion, but yeah, generally speaking, I, I, is this is this this is funny? Is this the first time we're actually recording this show on a Thursday? Like, can you remember, Tony? Because I, I can't. Normally, we record it on, like, Fridays or Sundays or fr- Yeah, you know, I, I want to say maybe you and Mike did one on a Thursday a long time ago. I don't know. The only I one there. The only one that Mike was on was the one where we recorded the, the Kakaida movie. And I think that was on a Saturday. So I'm, I'm going to say we've never actually... I think this is the first time in the history of Toku Thursdays that we've actually actively recorded on a Thursday. So you're part of you're part of history, Ronald. I am, and I think I, I think it's all because of me. Nice. <laughs> it's all you. It's all you. It's you, know, all you, know, me. you know what I listened to that I had fun listening to, and I, I I mean I've listened to a couple episodes like on on the back end and like the I, I guess I'd call it the front end, but like I, I've listened to like more recent episodes of Dinner with Geeks, and then I did listen to some of the early episodes of Dinner with Geeks, like from the first couple episodes, but. The other thing was I've I've slowly been going through like like the backlog of Back to the Bins and I did listen to the episode that that you and I think <laughs> F were on. Like I, I, I listened to, yeah. to that episode recently and I was like, Oh, that was fun too. So like I had a good time. I usually have a good time listening to those, but I, I'm not it was like I started listening to it at a certain point and like then I kinda I, it reminds me of like X Men or something because I go back and I went back to the episodes where, like, you know, Paul and Bill joined, like, the cast and everything. And then, like, I've, I've, I've sort of been trying to work my way back up to where I started. And I'm not quite nearly there yet, but but it's always fun to listen to those episodes. So. Well, I'll let you, let you know, I have uh, listened to, uh, on Back to the Bins, I, I started at episode one. Okay. I've listened up to episode 50. But I was at the same time listening to the current stuff and oh. working my way back. And I've made it to okay. episode 100. Okay. So I still have 50 episodes to go on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm nowhere close to those. Like, because those early ones, I, I forget which episode it was, but I think it was like 90 something when like Paul and Dr. Bill started or whatever. Yeah. So, like, I think I've listened from there to like somewhere in like the 120s. And then, and then I, you know, some, some episodes. I sort of jumped around on, you know, because I know, like, I, I think the first stuff I listened to was the Planet of the Apes month because that interested me, you know. And then, and then I think I've, I'm, I'm pretty much current from there. But then there's like little interspersed episodes that I've listened to. But yeah. So anyway, it, but it was. It, I just wanted to tell you it was fun to listen to that episode as well. So. But something interesting I want to point out here. Dinner for Geeks. Yes. Always recorded on a Thursday. Huh. Okay. Uh, except for uh, special episodes where, where, you know, we go someplace or have Thanksgiving dinner or something. Okay. okay. Which, ironically, Thanksgiving dinner is on a Thursday, but our families, for some reason, will not let us record on that day. Right, right, right. So, for some reason. <laughs> but they want to be together or something. I don't understand. <laughs> you can't play with your geek friends this Thursday. We're having Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, ma. Of, of the many things... Uh, Derek has a odd fascination with. He loves pumpkin-headed characters. Really? Yeah, I like I like Sam Hain and I like Lord Pumpkin and from the Ultraverse. Like I don't know, I think all those are pretty cool 
characters. So, and then Jack O'Lantern, of course, fits into that mold because he's Pumpkinhead. Yeah, 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 like all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> I, I, I usually I'm like I'm like that. That means if you have a pumpkin for a head, it usually means you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> Which those guys don't hear a whole lot. <laughs> no, not really. Hey, in my in my world, you know, my twisted hey. little world. In his world, they're, they're never the ones standing at the wall waiting for a girl to ask him to dance. Yeah, yeah. They, they got tons of jack-o'-lantern and uh, <laughs> Sam Haim. Sam Haim's like king of the ghosts, man. I'm sure there's all kinds of weird ghost girls asking him to the prom or whatever. Yeah, he's got that, he's got that shit covered. Hey, Lord, Lord Pumpkin fought Sludge. That's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> Dude, Lord Pumpkin was like a crime boss. I'm sure he's got like little, like, you know, mob girls or whatever that like worship him or whatever either that or he's got his own little his own little brothel of whatever he, he's running uh at the east end of sludge town or wherever the hell sludge was located in that fucking comic bring me my pumpkin pies ah uh, my beautiful pumpkin pies um anyway um they, they had to tone it down for the saturday morning cartoon you know my pumpkin seeds um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me my tubers. Uh. <laughs> um, oh, before we start, uh, do you would you do you prefer to be called Ronald or Ron? Uh, for for showbiz purposes, call me Ron. Okay, I just want to make sure because Derek kept calling Ronald, and I wasn't sure. I didn't want to, you know. Uh, that's my name. It is Ronald, but uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm I, I think I'm I'm just having a professor Professor Stein moment. You know, like I'm I'm vicariously pretending I'm Professor Stein, but yeah, just. <laughs> Yeah, I am Palmer. not gonna blend with you. <laughs> Hell yeah! Hell yeah! That's gonna be a meme. We're gonna turn it into one.